Aquaman and Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and Nuclear Man, Batman and Hawkman, 2D Man and Hour Man. Who are all these people, man? They're all part of the DC. Who's who? Booster Boy and Booster Gold, Lightning Lass and Hippolyta, Phantom Stranger, District and Arisia and Woozy Winks. Hey, hey, hey. What? What about that one guy? What guy? Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? Yeah, him. He's also part of the DC Who's Who. Hello, and welcome to the 14th episode of Who's Who in the DC Universe, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag, and along me, as always, is my co-host, the esteemed Rob Kelly. Man, Rob, issue 14, it is a Titans-themed issue. I'm pretty excited about this, buddy. How about you? (laughs) What the hell is that? It's my imitation of my favorite listing in this book. Okay, I'm with you now. Okay, wow, that, whoo, you make fun of some of my weird off uh off tangent sort of things that that's a whopper right there buddy <laughs> it'll make sense later folks i promise <laughs> all right well yes we are back for another episode of who's who and uh you know we we weren't sure if we were going to do one this week but some news came down the pike that we're going to take credit for by the way that just told us that we had to go ahead and do this rob why don't you tell the people home the news if they haven't heard uh yes uh thanks to the ten thousand people that sent us messages about this all in one day uh, DC is releasing a Who's Who omnibus. Uh, the the official copy is the series fans demanded is collected uh, collected at last. Who's Who was a series that began in 1985 and ran through the 1990s. Hey, that's what we're doing now. Cataloging every character, good or evil, in the DC universe from Abel to Zyklon and beyond, with copious detail on powers, origins, and other key facets of each character. Illustrated by a wide range of top artists from the golden age of comics up to the 1980s indie comic scene, Who's Who was a feast for the eyes, as well as being the ultimate guide to the denizens of the DC universe. Now, I'm not going to list all the books that this thing is collecting because it's a huge list and this show is going to be long enough already, but it is a comprehensive book. Now, we're not totally celebrating just yet because lots of stuff gets announced that never actually comes out. So until we have this sucker in our hands, we're not totally, totally taking a victory lap. But when it comes out, we will take a victory lap because this is totally because of our show. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Has nothing to do with the legions and legions of people that love this book that don't listen to our show. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's pretty much, it, as Rob said, it's comprehensive pretty much up until 1989. So everything up to 89 is going to be in here, which is absolutely amazing. So exciting. And yes, Rob joked about 10,000 people contacting us. I think it was more like 20,000. But uh, <laughs> seriously, I do want to express my deep thanks to everyone that reached out to us. I, I really do mean that. That was so thoughtful of you guys to send that information our way. We joke, we kid, because that's what we do. We're smart asses, but we really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Oh, it was fun to see how excited people were for this announcement and kind of for us that was really it was really really cool and like i said i'm taking total credit for this what we've been doing a show about this very title for nine years shag come on <laughs> that's fine okay the the power you know if, if the waiting for doom guys can take credit for creating a doom patrol television show i guess we can take credit for the who's who omnibus exactly that works exactly and that that country's a bunch of criminals come on <laughs> 
So uh, I also want to mention, folks, if you're not listening, there is another show on the Fire and Water Podcast Network now. It's called Who's Editing? And it's hosted by Siskoid. It's part of the FW Presents feed. Uh, it's an occasional show, maybe once a month or so. And he, what Siskoid is doing is he's going issue by issue through the classic Who's Who and sort of reimagining what it could have been with a different guest. I was fortunate enough to be on a recent one, Who's Who Editing number three. We had an absolute blast, and I got to create uh, basically an entire DC line of books built up all around Blue Devil. So that was that was that was all worth it for me. Dan Cassidy for the win. But, of, of all the of all the shows in the network, it is the one I have the toughest time understanding, <laughs> and, and that includes Zoom shows. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> but it's compelling. You can't help it. I mean, even Ryan Daly made it interesting. So, um, well, okay, it's <laughs> a bit of a stretch. <laughs> so, folks, yes, we are here to cover who's who in the DC universe. So, if you don't know, this is a sixteen issue miniseries. You know what? Screw it. This is the part of the show where I normally go through and say it's sixteen issues, and here's all the colors and the price. You know what, guys? We've been doing this for nine years you probably know it by now if you don't know go back and listen to any of the other shows we've done the last nine years the only thing i do want to mention is as far as the color codes go this issue we get a new color code Woo! they have added gray to the mix so we'll talk about it oh don't worry exciting gray it is exciting it's very exciting you know roy g biv only goes so far (laughs) anyway uh but we do need you know what we should do rob we should take a second to thank our sponsors right so this sure, episode, why not? Of, why not? This episode of Who's Who is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to forty-two percent off with free shipping for orders of fifty dollars or more. Now, can you imagine, Rob, a day when we can actually pimp the Who's Who omnibus in this segment? Oh my God! That'll be that'll be remarkable. It really will be. So, what'd you bring, Bud? Uh, Animal Man uh, by Grant Morrison, <laughs> Book One. Uh, it's funny the the name the name of the book is Animal Man by Grant Morrison. I guess he was the only person that worked on this book he lettered it he drew it he edited it, he stapled it he sent it out to people i don't know uh but this well, collection- i do th- i do think people are probably buying it because of his name rather than chaz know, Ch- rather than chaz Truog. i know it just feels a little weird that you know by grant but anyway whatever uh this reprints animal man numbers one through 13 <laughs> plus this story from secret origins number 39 featuring covers by brian ballin this collected edition features a cover by brian ballin uh it's normally 29.99 in stock freight trade in stock trades price is $17.39. That's 42% off. I love this book at the time. I bought every issue when it was out. I thought it was a really great uh, sort of reinterpretation of an obscure DC character. And it really did help put this character kind of back on the map in a lot of ways in, in the DC continuity. So it was a great series. Uh, it absolutely deserves to be collected. So Animal Man, Volume 1. I love this series. I'm not going to really talk about it here because if you'd like, you can listen to the most recent episode of the JLI podcast where uh, myself and Matt Ev wax on about this specific run of Animal Man for quite a while. So love this book. My pick is extremely on topic, uh, shockingly so. I picked Titans, Total Chaos Trade Paperback. And this collects uh, several issues of the various Teen Titans books of this era, which included New Titans, Deathstroke, the Terminator, and the Team Titans. And all three of these books are tied in directly to this issue that we're going to be talking about today. So this is really perfect. So what this collects is the Total Chaos storyline, which, okay, I'll come out and say it, is not the best storyline from this era, but that's okay. Uh, It deals with Lord Chaos, which is Donna, Troy's son, and how he has been born, and he's this Greek god. We'll talk a little more about him but it all ties in with how the team titans came to be in our timeline and uh it was 340 pages 
Uh, covers by Mike Zeck with uh, it's written by Marv Wolfman. The majority of the arts by Tom Grummet, which is fantastic. It was originally twenty nine ninety nine, but you can get it for forty two percent off. So you get the in stock trades price of seventeen dollars and thirty nine cents. So if you like this era of Titans, which I do, this is a great pickup to go back and revisit. And uh, so for these and all of your trade paperback needs, please visit instocktrades.com. Now this episode is also sponsored in part with your Patreon support, guys, because you know running the Firewater Podcast Network uh, with so many shows, it really does require a lot of online hosting and other services and we launched the patreon last year and you folks really really came uh, to help us out and I, I can truly say without your help the network would not still be on the air so if you're enjoying shows like this the best way to help support us is by visiting our patreon what's that site rob patreon.com slash fw podcast and when you're there please consider supporting the firewater podcast network and as certain sponsorship tiers you get mentioned on your favorite firewater shows how cool is that just like these awesome people noah tarnow michael atchison damian whiter daniel button Nick, Michael O'Brien, Paul Kenzel, Nathan Archer, Christopher M. Lydon, Jeremy Jones-Goldstein, Corey Drew, Tom Panneries, David Ace Gutierrez, and Gore Tolton. I love all of those guys except for one of them. Now they're going to wonder if it's them. Don't worry. David Gutierrez knows it's him. Anyway, folks, uh, please visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash fwpodcast. Now, we need to hear from you. We want you to leave comments on our website. If you're out in the social medias, use our hashtag fwpodcast. We're going to post some of the images on our website in case you're just too scared to open your three ring binders after all these years because you know the clips you know those clips go bad after a while so maybe you're scared to open your binder so we will post a few of the images where will i find that rob ironwaterpodcast.com you know we might have to start to scale back on posting those images now that they're actually reprinting who's who after all these years oh my gosh (laughs) (laughs) so let's get into this folks who's who in the dc universe issue number 14 and this is one of the themed issues uh where they originally started off as just being a whole bunch of variety of topics now this one kind of focuses in on the titans it's not all titans but there's a lot of them in there the cover date is november 1991 it was on the shelves october 8th 1991 and it cost you four dollars and 95 cents which is crazy because nowadays in 2020 dollars that'll buy you a camaro so uh going into it rob i don't really have a lot to say about the letters but i do just want to point out one thing you know, we, 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 we throw a little shade from time to time, playfully at Arlene Lowe, right? You know, who was the proofreader. However, I'm starting to wonder if maybe some of that was mistargeted. Because I noticed this issue, and maybe it goes back a ways. I didn't bother to look, because, you know, who needs facts? Um, I looked back, and there's a typesetter who's credited. And Eileen Sternbach. And I'm going to have some strong words for Eileen this issue. Just saying. Okay. I mean, the typesetter doesn't proof things. The typesetter literally lays in the type. But uh, depending on what your criticism is, we'll find out which person gets dinged in this uh, there we episode go. of Who's Who. Fair so, enough. Um, yeah, I don't have any comments really on the letters except for the opening letter by Jazz Walker, which is a great name, by the way. Jazz Walker. That's just a cool name. Uh, the, the Jazz Walker kind of uh, talks about how they were a little overcritical in the beginning, and now they realize that, you know, their D- DC's really trying their best here, and uh, they think, uh, you know, I really, he says, I realize you have total you have t- tough judgment calls to make on on many entries if there's no two people will agree on every listing please regard these comments as, as comments not complaints which is kind of a nice you know middle ground which you don't get a lot from comic book fans so i appreciate jazz walker just kind of being mellow about it i thought that's that's pretty cool of him or her to to say the voice of reason in the comic book field that's insane yeah, insane unbelievable. yeah that person is not on twitter i guarantee <laughs> now i've got a question for you uh how do you feel about this? Because going into this, guys, Rob was dreading getting to the Loose Leaf edition because this is not his era of comics. This is hashtag not my DC for Rob. And I've never heard of Who's Who before this episode. Okay, Ryan Daly's not even here, so that joke just doesn't land. Anyway, 
Um, oh, it did before. I see. Okay. <laughs> so, Rob, how you know, fourteen issues in, has your feelings towards the loose leaf? Uh, have you grown some appreciation for it, or is it still good under oh. your skin? You know, what's... I, I, well, okay. I don't know if you're quite characterizing it correctly, which is surprise, surprise. You're an angry, I, get off my lawn kind of guy. I had no, I had absolutely no problem with any of the changes that DC made to the Who's Who to keep it more up to date, to keep it more interactive and user friendly. I mean. And it made total sense. Concentrating on newer characters and in current consumers, they all make total sense. That's just not my interest. But that doesn't mean that I think it was a bad idea. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, uh, I don't know, it was uh, it was a similar comment I made to somebody many years ago about when, when DC was going to start doing Watchmen again. And and I they asked me, was I going to read the, the new Watchmen series? And I said, no, I have no interest in reading Watchmen not written by Alan Moore. And they kind of took that as like, I was saying DC shouldn't do it. And I wasn't saying that. I was like, I'm not saying they should or shouldn't do it. I'm just saying I don't have any interest in those characters not written by Alan Moore. And so this is not my era. I don't know these characters for the most part. Uh, and the stuff that I love the most about the classic who's who is not here in these editions. But I completely understand why they did this. So, uh, yeah, I guess I have some more appreciation for it because I've gotten to review some of the artwork and stuff. And yeah, we are heading into the, the final three issues here of the series. Uh, but at the same time, there are a lot of characters here that my eyes just gray over. Okay. There's gonna, there's gonna be some here. I'm just like, you know, <laughs> you know. So I mean, but but I I will say it's nice to see some of the artwork given full bloom. You know, like some of these pieces are are simply gorgeous, and they, they get more space to to run around in than they did in the previous series. Yeah, some of these really deserve poster treatment. They're so good, mm-hmm. they really do. Um, and no, I think that, that that's, that's a very nice way to put it, Rob. That was very very kind of you. So you're a kinder, yeah, I mean, gentler, I, Rob Kelly. I can well, no, uh, but, I, mean, <laughs> I, I I can totally totally understand why you would want a who's who that you could mix and max pa- mix and match pages and slot new characters in that really makes complete sense uh it's just you know to me it's like i the reason i bought who's who as a kid and the reason i loved it, it was because it gave me a portal into a world that had disappeared by the time i came around and that's not what this who's who does but that you know so it's like well the main reason i love the original one is not present here so i mean you know knocks nicks it's all it's it's all good just because dave stevens didn't draw this dolphin it doesn't mean it's not good. So. <laughs> That's right. That's right. All right. Let's get into this, folks. So the first right, yeah, entry. All right. Yeah. First, right. And, we're doing pre. We're doing so much preamble here. Come on. I'm trying. Shut up. This so the is first... my episode. This is my episode to lead. What are you oh, doing? That's right. Oh, thank God. That's why oh. I'm trying to get you to shut the hell up. <laughs> Guys, I was I'm about to. Look... <laughs> I'm trying to get to anarchy, and you won't stop talking. Like, it oh, is anarchy. It's anarchy. <laughs> it is anarchy. Anyway, anarchy for Pete's sakes. Uh, first appeared in Detective Comics <laughs> Eight. Uh, this is drawn by the late, unfortunately, great Norm Brayfogle. So yeah, so this character came around uh, at the point, after, I think after I had stopped reading Detective Comics, but I always was familiar with him visually, and I knew, you know, even at the time, I was like, oh, he kind of looks like the character from V for Vendetta, which Norm Brayfogle cops to in this image, because we mm-hmm. see amid, amid all the bric-a-brac flying around in this Gotham Alley, we see a copy for V for Vendetta, uh, which I thought was pretty cool. He's got a really great visual. He's all red, except for this gold uh, gold faceplate, and they said he's, I like his alter ego, Lonnie Mackin, a.k.a. Money Spider, which is a great nickname. I'd love to have that nickname. <laughs> you do when you're a kid, after Richie that's, Rich. That's right. He's only 5'2 and 115 pounds, which is why he wears this weird giant head, big bird head thing he's got going on. But he's, you know, again, he's... Uh, 
a sort of classic 90s version of Batman. He's a more extreme version of Batman. I mean, by the name, of course, suggests that he's not interested in restoring law and order. It's all about just, you know, completely ripping up everything uh, that's already established in Gotham City. And that's Batman can't have. That. Well, and part of the reason he's only five at two is because he's only 12 years old. You know, right. He's this genius kid. <clears throat> he and, doesn't uh, look like that in the inset, unfortunately. If you just look at no. the inset, he does not look like he's 12. I mean, you could tell me he's 25. I'd believe that. You know, come on. Come on, Norm. But I will tell you, that, talk, looking at the front image here, it's just absolutely stunning. I love the perspective, how you can see up the building. You see the little tiny Batman at the top. You already mentioned the V for data pamphlet, but all of the papers flying around are all conspiracy theory kind of stuff or, or oppressive society type stuff. I love all of that. Um, and then getting to the back, as you mentioned, um, there, there's some great stuff. They talk about how he becomes a foil for Tim Drake because what happens, they introduce him in Batman. And then, you know, once you find out he's 12 years old, it's kind of like, well, I can't have Bruce Wayne beating up a 12-year-old kid. Oh, but Robin can. So that's hmm. where the Money Spider nickname comes in. He'd be well in jail. He's still doing uh, activities as Money Spider. Tim Drake tracks him down before he even technically is in the Robin suit when he's training. And uh, and they made him a really interesting character. Eventually, he goes on and gets his own series. And uh, it was did he pre- really? Yeah, I didn't know that. I want to. Okay. Uh, I might be speaking out of turn, but I want to say it was a Denny O'Neill thing, maybe. Um, so here, the, this text is written by Mark Wade. You've already mentioned the uh, original appearance. He is black, but eventually he becomes more of a I don't know uh, an anti-hero of sorts. He's not really technically a bad guy after a while. And at one point, I was reading an interview or an article, whatever, and it says Alan Grant actually intended for Lonnie Mackin to become the new Robin at one point. Um, part mm. of the reason he was a 12-year-old kid, I guess, is that, that was the direction he was going, but then along comes Tim Drake, and that kind of changed all his plans. I love it. And His listing is, Lonnie remains in custody at Clarkson's Hall, currently stripped of any computer equipment that might allow him to wreak his havoc on the outside world. Man, there are so many people we should we should do that. <laughs> it's really... <laughs> That's a long list. That's a long list of people. Long list. Well, at this point, you know, when Who's Who came out, it had been about 18 months since uh, Money Spider had appeared in Detective Comics. And if you want more on him, you can, uh, Anarchy, you can check out Batman Nightcast or The Overlooked Dark Knight. All right. Next up is Animal Man. Animal Man. Uh, of course, first appeared in Strange Adventures number 180. Here it's strummed by Brian Bolland. And no surprise, it's a gorgeous piece of uh, Buddy flying through the sky. And uh, and he's surrounded by a bunch of, uh, I guess, flam- are they flamingos? Or yeah, pelicans? they're flamingos. They just haven't flamingos. eaten enough shrimp because they're not all pink yet. Okay, right. And then there's one solitary frog yeah, what is flying that? in the background, <laughs> which is cool. I just like that. But I love the way he's just sort of gliding. He's not so much flying as he looks like he's almost like swimming in air. Uh, which I like quite a bit. And they did the gun on the inset. You've got a family portrait. You see the big explosion. And then there's um, the, the, the final paragraph. This is written by Tom Veach, by the way. The text is by Tom Veach. Uh, and the final paragraph, it says, Animal Man is, as could be expected, a man of great compassion towards all creatures. He is an ardent animal rights activist, an environmentalist, and a vegetarian. Although he wears a mask, he goes to no great lengths to conceal his true identity. Now, aside from just all the sort of... Um, philosophical views that buddy has that i will kind of line up with where i am i like that um this listing gives a a perspective on who the man is who the person is there wasn't mm-hmm. a lot of that at who's who you know what i mean it's like as you've talked about Jake, there's all the who's who listings about then he did this then he went that then right, he did right. then he went to earth too and then he joined the teen <laughs> titans I-, I like that this listing at least for one paragraph just gives you a sense of who the person is that's a nice little detail that i really appreciated they threw in yeah tom veach really had a good handle on uh, animal man especially in the early part of his run because you know with it was morrison then milligan did a short like six issue run and then veach took over for 
for a pretty extended run. In fact, at this point, he'd been on with the book for a year. Like when he started, I mean, out of the gate, I was like, oh, wow, this guy gets Animal Man. Now, it got pretty freaking crazy later. But for at this point, though, he had a really great handle on the, on the series and it was really enjoyable. And I love in the in the context of the, of the text. If you read closely, they actually give you two different versions of Buddy's origin, and it basically tells you that we don't know. And, and what they're really addressing in there is Graham Morrison fiddling around with Buddy's origin and making it very meta as far as like the real world mucking about of a comic book writer versus what happened at the comic. And it just it builds the retcon into the origin. I just absolutely love that he did all that. Yeah, it's talk- cool. It's it's a really it's a it's a really great list. Talking about the art though, I mean that that Brian Ballin piece on the front, Rob. I turned the page and it gasped, even though I've seen this thing clearly. But I just oh, oh my gosh, it's such a kapow moment. I mean, I actually whenever I'm like, honey, you got to see this. I wouldn't show my wife who doesn't care about all this. She's like, where are all the birds? I'm like, no, 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 look how cool he looks. Um, <laughs> as as Matt Evans said also recently on the JLI podcast, he said, you know, Animal Man has a really ridiculous looking costume. However, Brian Ballin has the ability to draw it so awesome looking. Like every Brian Ballin image of Animal Man, you look at it and you're like, man, that costume is awesome. Somebody else draws it and you're like, oh, man, yeah, that's just, that's, yeah, you don't even wear that to a costume party. That's embarrassing. But uh, anyway, so going into the entry, his first name is Bernhard? What? Or Bernard, I guess is how you pronounce it. I had no idea. All these years, it's just been Buddy. I didn't know that was his real name. And uh, they, they also addressed it. At this point, he was on a sabbatical from Justice League Europe, which happened at the end of the Morrison run. And uh, I like, you know, they, they talk a lot about the morphogenic field and stuff like that. Later, it's called the red and all that stuff. But uh, one of the coolest things that Veach did, and I think it was Veach, they, once the morphogenic field thing got rolling, is Animal Man was able to tap into the ability of extinct animals. Like, I remember this one issue where he's, he's he, as a stuntman, he's driving a car off a cliff. He's like, okay, I'm going to get like, I don't know, the, the stamina of an elephant and the strength of a, uh, of a Tyrannosaurus Rex. And I'm like, what? That's bad. Badass, and so uh, it really did some interesting stuff with the character. So uh, you know, the writer, as uh, we already said, Tom Beach, the color is red. Uh, at this point, Animal Man was on issue number forty-two, which is about one year away from. Uh, no, actually, it's not right. We're still in the pre-Vertigo era. I didn't check out when that becomes. We're still in pre-Vertigo. We're really close though. And if you want more Animal Man, again, check out the recent JLI podcast where we did an extended discussion about him, uh, or check out those awesome DC Nation shorts, which is where Rob keeps getting his what Animal Man. <laughs> All right. It's good stuff. So, yeah, next up is Catherine Colbert or Col- Colbert. How do you say it, Shay? Well, there's no L, so it's Colbert. Okay, Colbert. Catherine Colbert, a supporting cast character from Justice League International or Justice League Europe. She first appeared in Justice League Europe, number one. No, she didn't. By- Okay. You keep going. That's in my commentary. It's drawn, go ahead. It's drawn, drawn by Terry Austin and Al Williamson. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, Jack, this is right up your alley. This is one of your like favorite uh, characters, right? Yeah, she's- I, yeah, I, I absolutely have the hugest crush on this character. However, let's just talk about the art for a second, though. Terry Austin, and Al Williamson, I adore both of them. Terry Austin is an amazing inker. Al William is an amazing penciler. They got them in the wrong order on this drawing because they've got Terry Austin penciling and Al Williamson inking. It's the, the drawing is conceptually the drawing is adorable because what you've got is her doing her sort of uh i don't know her, her linkedin picture uh for for the jli <laughs> she's she's there with her coffee cup and she's smiling and you actually see like a polaroid says take one and then it backs up and you see immediately after the picture is taken power girl's disgusting cat has sliced her leg and she's spilling coffee and her, her nylons are run and it's kind of funny but it just the drawing didn't come together but regardless of that the character I, she's absolutely wonderful i like how as you read the entry i don't know if you spent the time reading it because i know you don't read these things normally rob but they talk about you do get a little bit of a sense for who she is because they talk about how she was rich and she had this modeling career, but she wanted to prove herself. So she actually goes to work and tries to find a job where she can't rely on her money or her looks. She goes to the UN 
She uh, succeeds because of her brilliance. And it really, I mean, she is a leader. That's what I love about this character. She's a fully realized non-superhero character that is incredibly important to the team. And, and you know, throw in the fact that she's beautiful. She's the whole package, man. She's amazing. According to her listing, she's 5'10", 115. Yeah, no, no. not really. No, no way. No, no, no. But, uh, it, again, it's a cute the, – the image is a cute setup. It is. It just I – didn't, I didn't feel like it came together. I like the insets, actually. I like where she's uh, fighting with her foil. She's, uh, she was fencing with Metamorpho, and she's carved a Z into him, much like Zorro. Uh, and then you got her trying to separate Wally West and, and uh, Elongated Man as they're bickering. And I, I just, I love the character. She's got the blue border for supporting cast. Honestly, she could have been Hero, but that's just me. Uh, written by Kevin Dooley, who was editing, uh, assistant editor of the JLI books at this point. And JLE, Justice League Europe, was on issue number 32 at this point. Now, if you want more information on Catherine Colbert, of course, check out the JLI podcast. I talk about her every month. Oh, yeah. Or she actually made an appearance, uh, if I understand correctly, on the uh, Young Justice cartoon, season three. They, they went to to the UN and she was there. Hmm. Now you said she did not first appear oh. in Justice League Europe number one. Thank you, thank you so much for reminding me. Yeah, Justice Europe number one is completely incorrect. Uh, and once I say it, you're going to go, "Oh yeah, of course." She actually appeared in Justice League International number eight, the Moving Day special, because in that oh, issue, that's right? Boom! Oh, see, I told you exactly. Because they go, because uh, Beetle and Booster go over to the European Embassy and they meet her in Paris, and Booster hits on her, fails miserably. Right, that's and right. That is actually the moment where the bwahaha was invented for that joke is where it came from so she's actually responsible for the creation of the bwahaha i remember that moment because booster's like watch this and then exactly they, they you don't even him walking away in shame yeah exactly that's the that's why the joke works so well is you don't even see him get shot down you just see him come out you know afterwards oh that's brilliant yeah oh wow okay all right well there's another there's a there is a couple of uh, errors we'll, uh, that i noticed in this issue we'll go into all those yeah interesting uh yeah so anyway so next up is uh Dr. Alchemy, the classic Flash villain, first appeared in as Mr. Element, which is so true. I, I like, that just sounds like a fun science-y name. He's like a guy that teaches you stuff. I'm like, Nickelodeon. <laughs> Mr. Element. First appeared in Showcase number 13, and then as Dr. Alchemy in Showcase number 14. I like that. <laughs> he lasted as Mr. Element all of one issue. It was like, I think you really could just call him Dr. Alchemy. I think that's fine. This character uh, makes my head hurt. We'll talk more yeah, about it in a minute. He's drawn by Greg Guler and Scott Hanna. Uh, we see him with, we see him with his, his element stone and he's turning different people into different uh different elements and different objects there's a tank there's a plane there's people he's turning into um i i mean i don't i i was not reading flash at this point and so i don't know what parts of this history uh is new and so therefore why he deserves a new listing exactly i mean presume i know that he took on the, the wally west flash and i guess they figured that was worth doing but i don't know it seems like does he really need to be in uh, updated who's who yeah i don't really know so all right let's talk first of all about the art here so the, the art of the front is pretty great i do like how he's turned the the plane the fighter plane to stone uh i, I like how he's turned the mailbox to either glass or quartz because you actually can see the letters inside of it which is pretty cool sadly though i just noticed there's a dog there Bob. He turned into stone or something too Ooh. But um, so uh, this character makes my head hurt because of the whole Dr. Alchemy and Mr. Element thing. And uh, I, I don't know that there is much rewriting in here. I don't think there's a lot of retconning. Because um, if you remember your Flash history, this whole Mr. Element, Dr. Alchemy thing, it's not just he changed costumes. They were actually two physically two different beings at one point. There was Albert and Alvin. And Alvin was supposedly... <sighs> 
a psychic twin. What? What does that even mean? If this thing, like I used to read the the Carmen Infantino drawn Flash issues, you know, back, boom, even Firestorm was back, you know, and then the backups. It made my head hurt then. I've got role playing modules with this character. It made my hurt th- head hurt then, and it makes my head hurt when I read this. I don't even care to understand it anymore. So we'll just move past it. So he's got the Philosopher's Stone. So Harry Potter should be looking for him, looking for that to get it back. Uh, he had appeared in Flash about a year before this, which may be what credited him getting the appearance. The thing I don't understand is Greg Guler and Scott Hanna drew him, right? Though, uh, Greg Guler was the artist on Hawk and Dove. So unless he just had a particular passion for this character or they thought about using him in Hawk and Dove, I can't figure out any reason why he would have been assigned to this character. Uh, that's a good question. Somebody's yeah. got to draw him. I guess so, yeah. So I, I do like the inset. Like, I like him as the scientist. That uh, Like, he looks so intent on that beaker, which looks pretty cool. And the Mr. Element costume was always bonkers to me, so that's kind of fun to see. It's written by Mark Wade, and uh, the border is black, of course, as a villain. And um, for more on Dr. Alchemy, I don't know. He's probably been on the Flash TV show or something. I have no idea. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, next up is Green Arrow. Uh, and this is an instance of Green Arrow where the newer who's who is actually taking information away as opposed to adding it. Yes. It says here his first appearance is in More Fun Comics number 73. Now, we're not going to get into the whole Earth 1 or 2 argument with Chag and I get into about Aquaman and Green Arrow. But in the in the original Who's Who, they actually went out of their way to assign a first appearance for this Green Arrow, which they said was Adventure Comics number 250. Now, that's relatively arbitrary, but they did it. And here, they took that away. And now they're saying that basically Green Arrow first, they're saying that this Green Arrow first appeared in the 1940s which doesn't make any sense. And it's weird because, of course, with this version of Usu, they were bothering to do, you know, historical first appearance, modern first appearance, and they don't do that here. They just say, nah, it's more fun comic 73, that's it. That's his first appearance, which doesn't really track because, of course, uh, that Green Arrow was a member of the Soldiers, Seven Soldiers of Victory, not the Justice League of America, because this is the Oliver Queen version. Now, of course, this is the updated one. It's drawn by, I should mention, it's drawn by Mike Grell, because this is all long post-Longbow Hunters and post the new series and his new costume and all that kind of stuff. But it's weird how they're sort of smooshing together all their green arrows into kind of one list. Did Aquaman get a um, historical and, and current? No. He got one as well. Okay. Well, I mean, we don't need to rehash this, but um, we don't have that many hours. But I, I, in my brain, I do kind of get it because there was no specific demarcation point between the flow of one or the other. And if you read a, gold, a Golden Age green arrow story and a Silver Age green arrow story, and even one from the 70s, it is pretty much the same character. It's not like there was a huge change. So I can understand where they're kind of coming from. But the thing I find more, there's a couple things I find more interesting about, I thought you were going to go as far as history being a race, is, uh, or change, is this entire entry as you read it, it's almost entirely the gritty version. Uh, no, but what I'm what I'm wondering is, uh, I mean, since presumably the original Who's Who was the definitive guide, uh, it's got the name right there in the title, that once, <laughs> the, once they decided that his first appearance was Adventure 250, it's set. That, 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 I mean, you could use that information for this one. It seems weird that they're undoing something that they did in the original Who's Who. Now, I know there's been changes or whatever. It just seems weird to me that they would say, oh, no, no, never mind about that. Well, it's like you guys bothered to do it the first time around. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Um, but I, I, again, where, I, where I'm going here, and you're apparently ignoring me, is, is that this entire entry is almost entirely the gritty version, whereas the, tr- the traditional sort of super heroic version of Green Arrow, who was, you know, Green Arrow for 50 years before Longbow Hunters, gets very little mention in here. I mean, mm-hmm. they talk about, you know, his origin, which was redone. They talk about what he's been doing nowadays, but the, the stuff smushed in the middle, which is very small, is what he did for 50 years. So that's what I felt <laughs> like they were erasing, sort of. Could be. Could be. So the, the other really strange thing about this is it's 
as you mentioned, is drawn by Green, uh, Mike Grell, who not only drew that Green Arrow run, he also he also wrote it. And yet, mm-hmm. this entry is written by Mark Wade, which I found really strange. I thought if you're getting Mike Grell to draw the series that he wrote, why wouldn't you just ask him to do it? They didn't do that a lot, though. That the, uh, the Dan Jurgens got to write writers. the Blue Devil, or he got to write the Booster Gold one. Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. I, it, I mean, but he also wrote lots of other. It seems like they had a small pool of writers to draw from, and they didn't do a lot of kind of one. You know, get the get the creator just in to do this listing. Yeah, that's probably true. This is the first entry I've ever seen them reference the actual term social justice. So I thought that was kind of mm-hmm. was kind of cool. Um, and then at this point, Green Arrow was on issue number fifty four. And what's a little more relevant is that this same month, the Black Canary miniseries was starting. Which, I, unless I'm mistaken, I think that's the first time she ever headlined a book on her own. So. Yes, it is. So for more on this version of Green Arrow specifically, you could check out the Warlord Worlds podcast with our friends of the Sutherlands. Or you know, there was a whole TV show for like seven years. <laughs> Wait, you're saying that in the past tense? Is that something that's still on? I thought they kind of finished. I thought oh, Crisis. I, I, no I, thought Crisis I thought Crisis on Infinite Earths was the end of it. Oh, oh. I, have no, I have no idea. Oh, now I'm just showing my embarrassment on, on how little I know about the CW nowadays. Oh, I am watching Stargirl, guys. It's really good. Uh, all right. So uh, next up is Injustice League. Whoop, whoop. Uh, first appeared in Justice League International number twenty three. Uh, boy, I mean, didn't we already do the JLI themed issue? And we seem to be doing a lot of that here. <laughs> There's never uh, enough of it. <laughs> my goodness, drawn by Mike McCone, doing quite a nice job and it's again it's basically your team of utter uh morts major disaster blockbuster clock king multi-man and clue master we've got them a nice close-up of oh, them yeah, yeah forgot one Oh, who's the, I forget what the mighty uh, Bruce, the mighty Bruce. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, sometimes they try too hard uh, on the, on the, uh, on the back page, you've got the inset and it's a close up of all their heads. They're, I think they're slightly doing a, you want to make something of it. Oh, they absolutely are. Look. And then on the back, on the very bottom is sort of a lineup shot, even though they're front of, in front of a bunch of um, prison bars. Uh, I will say my little personal history with this team is of course, I partly inked one panel for a comic book that this team appeared in. So major disaster is the character that appeared in the panel that I inked on. So that, that that's my connection to the Injustice. Spoilers for the JLI show. But uh, yeah, I'm so excited by this entry. It's, Mike McCone really was a, a great successor, or fill-in artist, if you will, when Kevin McGuire wasn't around. He Mike McCone sort of cut his teeth on some of the early JLI issues. This front page where they're standing, this is actually a lineup page where you can see the lines along the wall for height and everything. It's absolutely adorable. I mean, Multi-Man is crying and Clue Master is, is holding the, the, the ball in chain and big sir is sort of holding it like a basketball it's absolutely hysterical i love this thing so very much and if you read the entry it's hysterical i don't know if you took the time to actually read it but they go in and the writer who's kevin dooley actually like describes them he goes that's them what you want to know more sigh all right and then he gives you more and he's like still not satisfied okay okay and he's like what there's more you want to know their individual first appearances go by the back issues give me a break which is i mean it cracks me up as i'm reading through this thing so kevin dooley did a really nice job on this the, the best line here is at the end though where it gets very meta and he says uh talking about how much of a losers they are and he goes and it's doubtful any of them will appear in Batman movie sequels, which is absolutely awesome. Absolutely awesome. All right. So um, Border is Black, of course, for Villain Team. Uh, right at this point, Justice League America was on issue 57, and it had been about 18 months since that Justice League Antarctica issue that Rob has already revealed. So for more on them, you could go to, oh, I don't know, the JLI podcast. Oh, God, I read enough already. Jeez. Well, when we do the MASH-themed Who's Who issue, you can talk about that a lot, 
Oh, I would kill for their who's who in MASH comic. Okay. And here's another person in Scrubs. Okay, next. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, all right, now's another plug for another one of our shows on the network. Good Lord. Uh, this is Invasion, uh, which is this, the, this, this is the de- this debut, is it. right? This of is the debut. Event. This is an event. It's uh, done in gray, which to me perfectly uh, replicates the excitement of Invasion. <laughs> Shut uh, up. It features, it's a drawing by Bart Sears and Randy Elliott. We've got Captain Adam and his package standing there on the uh, <laughs> front. And then surrounding him are all these roided out superheroes. Everyone looks very mean, but of course that's up Bart Sears. Two people. But behind him, we've got Amanda Waller and Adam, Batman, Superman, Aquaman, Wonder Woman, Elongated Man, Hawkman, the whole group. Firestorm, we've even got Firestorm back there. Yep, yeah, Firestorm, we got Starman. Got- yeah, hey, Dr. Andrews, Creeper, Hawk and Dove. It's uh, the third, th- that back row is totally Ange. Is, uh, <laughs> I don't see Hyathis. Yeah, but, yeah, the Hyathis, not, not pictured Hyathis. Well, we got Firestorm uh, and Aquaman on the same page. Now, the only thing, my only complaint, not even a complaint, my only sort of, and this is more of a Ciscoid and Boss question, uh, Spectre has kind of a prominently featured spot on the page, but he's barely in the stupid thing. So I thought that was a little strange. Everyone else was pretty on point, though. I don't get the sense part Sears knew what was, what was happening uh, specifically in every single tie-in of Invasion, so he probably just wanted to draw the Spectre. Fair enough. It looks great, though. It looks. I love this drawing. I think it looks fantastic. So anyway, yeah, it just makes a lot of sense to cover events. If, if, if they could have done it, I think for the original Husu, they would have done one on Crisis uh, or the later series on Legend. So while I'm not a big fan of Invasion, uh, I I think it makes complete sense that you that you would create this new listing for this series. Yeah, it makes perfect sense, because now we're at 1991, so we're a good six years into the you know, I must have a major event every year or two. And so, uh, yeah, it makes perfect sense. And Evasion was a great one to do. It's, it's a, exciting. There's a lot of characters. Um, and I, I think it's a nice looking entry and I like the back of it. So the only thing that kind of had me scratching my head was in the text where it mentions that uh, as far as this alliance goes between all these alien planets, it says Hal and Sinestro broke up in a similar alliance years ago. I was like, huh? I can only imagine that was revealed in Emerald Dawn as a retcon or something. It was very strange that that was in there. But anyway, the piece is written by Robert Greenberger and it is a really nice recap of the invasion event. I really was quite pleased with it. I thought it kind of brought back all the feels, almost like I was listening to Cisco and Boss again. So, yes, uh, for more on this, you, of course, could check out the First Strike Invasion podcast here on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. You can also go to the CW shows and watch a crossover special called Invasion, which has very little to do with this at all. But um, So I, th- I do think it's a little weird that they put first appearance in here for an event. Because, you know, every one of these events, you could argue Invasion was set up before Invasion number one, or mm. crisis, crisis was set up for a year before Crisis. So I don't know the first appearance is really necessary, but whatever. Yeah, I mean, I guess it helps if you want to tell readers where, you know, where the this event started. Yeah, started I guess invasion. You, I yeah. Guess, so. Yeah. so invasion uh, at this point was two and a half years gone. So. Mm. Time flies. Uh, all right. So next up, uh, speaking of the crisis, we've got Lady Quark, who was one of the characters introduced in Crisis on Infinite Earths. Here it says Crisis on Infinite Earths number four, created by Marv Wolfman and George Perez. Although the listing is by Steve Lytle, who does an amazing job. I always like Lady Quark's costume. I like the mm-hmm. bodysuit of light with this red sort of Kirby crackle in the middle of it. So after the crisis, there wasn't much to do with her exactly. So they ended up folding her into the Legion continuity. And then that's most of the listing. And this probably the reason why she got a listing is that they get into this whole thing of her debate with uh, Lobo and all, the, like, all that stuff. And so, yeah, I mean, that's why she's here is because now they've made her sort of an ongoing character when initially she, like Pariah and Harbinger, were just sort of crisis specific. Yeah, and, and speaking specifically to the image, you're right. This is a gorgeous piece by Lytle. I love her, like on the front, her aggressive face. She just looks angry. And I mean, she was clearly inspired her look by 
like Annie Lennox or something like that. You know, it, it just looks like that. But in, in addition to not just her energy costume, the energy aura around her looks great. I mean, Lytle really put a lot of care and effort into it. The coloring looks nice. This piece is a complete win. I absolutely love it. And um, going into it, you know, um, I, I was kind of surprised that Lytle did it and not Barry Kitson because he was really closely associated with, with the Legion, but I'm glad they did get Lytle to do it. I also love uh, in the inset pictures, it's got her and her family. I love that little picture of the princess. She looks so adorable. She's like having fun. Princess Fern and Lord Volt. Yeah, she looks adorable. So, I, uh, and her, and her, her, her senior class photo there just looks great. I mean, just that kind of like, she's giving you the eye. You know, it's great. It, it fits her personality because imp- she's very imperious. That's the way her character acts. And so that sort of like that, the, giving you the eye like you're an idiot is just the perfect, perfect drawing in there. Really cleverly done. And one of her character traits, which always seems to reoccur, she, at this point, she was always searching for a mate, which I felt like, you know, poor Lord Volt, man. You know, he's, how cold was he before she went ahead and started looking? And I, it makes me wonder if her and Maxima ever teamed up both on a, a hunt for a man. Maybe Derek Crabb could answer that for us. But I think the most important thing to notice here, Rob, is in the middle section towards the bottom. Oh, uh, typesetter. typesetter well, is it typesetter or is it proofreader? That's Legion, typesetter. Legion has two periods. L-E, or instead, instead of L period E, it's L period period. Yeah. So, That's Eileen! Yeah. Yep, 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 yep. So. Written by Robert. <laughs> That's just the first of two. Uh, that, written by Robert Greenberger. And first, uh, oh, you already missed it. I'm sorry. The border is red. And at this point, Legion 91 uh, was on issue number 34. So that's where you could find her. If you want more on her, you should check out the Legion of Super Bloggers, where they're actually going through the uh, acronym Legion series right now. Our buddy Michael Lane is writing those up. So good stuff. All right. Uh, next up is Lana Lang and Pete Ross, drawn by the dynamite combination of Kurt Swan and Jerry Ordway. Uh, Chris Franklin likes to remark how mean I am to Kurt Swan, and we'll get into that in the feedback. Uh, and then, yeah, I'm not the biggest fan of Kurt Swan, but but as inked by Jerry Ordway, I think this looks terrific, and it's a nice uh, com- it's a nice combination of the two eras of Superman, which I think is really cool. Because of course, Lana Lang goes all the way back to Superboy number ten, and here they're doing the historical current version thing, where it says historical Superboy number ten, current version Man of Steel number one, and then Pete Ross first appearance Superboy number eighty six, and then current version Adventures Superman four thirty six, and on, and it's got them in their uh, Smallville U togs, and there's a car and there's the 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 only down the only part about this piece i don't like is the typesetting uh, which is incredibly dull it's just you mean, a, you mean the logo yeah the logo yeah it's just it's just ri- just spit out on a on a desktop uh, you know tick 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 lana lang peter rose done i know they don't have superhero logos because they're supporting cast characters but i wish they'd done something a little more uh involved with the artwork but otherwise the piece itself is great and the insets are nice you see peter ross there with clark and lana and then one where lana is slapping superman uh but it so otherwise a cool listing it's it's a really nice drawing by two legendary figures. I, I love this piece a lot. And I also love it's sort of a meshing of a lot of different things. Um, you get the car, which is clearly like a 1950s or maybe early 60s convertible. Then you get Pete and her in their Smallville sweaters, as you mentioned. So they look very sort of high school-like, but they're not. They're, they're adults here. And you see the Washington Monument behind them because at this point, they had just moved to Washington as a couple. So uh, it, it's, it's melding a lot of different stuff together in that sort of representation to, to give you the whole picture of them. So I love it. I love that aspect of it. And yes, uh, Kurt Swan and Jerry Ordway are peanut butter and chocolate, no doubt about it. They just go <laughs> great together. 
Now, in post-crisis, at this point, you know, uh, Lana and Pete have an interesting history where they, they uh, weren't together for a long time because she was Jason Clark. Then they eventually date and they eventually get married. Pete ends up, check it out, vice president of the United States at one point uh, because he was VP for Luther, of all people. And uh, the, the nice thing about them is they've had a really, really impressive uh, life and extended media. I mean, think about the Smallville TV show and what that did for Lana and Pete Ross. I mean, that's, oh, that's yeah. Yeah, pretty pretty huge. So the writer on this is Roger Stern, who was drawn, who was writing Action Comics at the time. Action Comics was on issue six seventy one at this point when this uh, who's who was on the shelves. You get the Border of Blue for supporting cast, and um, the most important thing about this entry, and I think Michael Bailey backed me up here, is there is not a single mention of Lana being a secret manhunter agent. Uh, that garbage from uh, what nineteen eighty eight, so only three years gone, has been buried. It's like, please, dear Lord, forget all that nonsense about her being a manhunter agent just forget it and never mention it again and thankfully it's not in here at all <laughs> so so for more on lana and pete you should check out the from crisis to crisis podcast which is great or watch the smallville tv show i do wonder why it says peter ross on the back as opposed to Pete ross i don't know robert kelly well all right but i mean his name's p ross and on the front it says p ross on the back i don't know it's whatever so okay uh next <laughs> up next up is uh, a similar character to lana lang lord chaos <laughs> uh, drawn by tom Grinberg first appeared in New, T- New Titans Annual Number Seven. Uh, look, I will say, other than the, the reading of this listing, which I did do, and I didn't remember a word of it, uh, I have no idea who this is. I did not read Titans by this point, so this guy, I was just like, I don't know what the hell this is. Other than he's, uh, we see him laying the Titans low uh, on the ground there. It's uh, and, and uh, he's got his powers emanating from his fist there, and then on the, we see some insets of him talking to the New Titans, and then him again using his powers again. This guy is a total blank for me i know i outside of the susu listing i've never seen a single comic he's been in so this is where i talk out of both sides of my mouth folks on the oh, front of this not. episode i promoted a trade paperback called the titans chaos or whatever it was called right which is all about this character and this era of comics the other side of it is this character is the worst part of that so uh the comics themselves aren't bad and a lot of the characters in there are great this character specifically though is just like the most annoying part of that thing he's the bad guy the gist is he is Donna Troy's son. So Donna Troy, her and Terry go on a second honeymoon and she gets pregnant, which is horrifying. That means she actually slept with him. Ugh, Terry Long. Ugh. Anyway, so um, she gets pregnant and because she is a, essentially a god, a titan, the child has titan powers and it, when it is born, it immediately, it is completely aware of its godhood, even it, when it, as an infant. So it immediately ages itself to adulthood and then begins to slowly take over the world. And this also ties in with Armageddon 2001, another of your favorites, mm-hmm. where we see that, you know, at this point, it was 1991, so it would be 10 years in the future. In the 10 years in the future, Lord Chaos controlled the world, and there was a, a rebellious faction of Titans, or they were called Teen Titans, they're Titans, or Team Titans, whatever you want to call them. They were battling Lord Chaos. Well, they come they come back in time, Terminator style, they come back in time to kill Donna Troy before she gives birth to this guy, before he becomes the big bad. So that's actually how these younger Titans that we're going to talk about in a bit become part of this world is they've actually come back in time from this horrible future where this guy's the bad guy to um, stop him from coming to power. So that was probably a, a big, long car ride you didn't want to go on. I'm sorry. But uh, the thing about this is, what, what, you know, we talk about how this version of Who's Who is all about being contemporary. Dude, this character is about two months old at this point. That is how new this character is. They had basically this annual that's referenced, New Titans Annual Number 7, just came out. So all of this text comes from that annual. The images on the back literally are uh, redrawings of that. And Tom Grimberg is is the one who drew the annual. Now, I don't know how you feel about Tom Grinberg, but and I know he clearly came from the Neil Adams school uh, from Continuity Studios and things like 
that, I'm not a fan. Tom Grinberg ruins the things I love. He's a competent artist who just screws everything up with the inks and shadows. He just makes everything look muddy. And um, this looks bad. It doesn't look good. It's really bothersome to me for that. It's 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 very loose. If I want to be charitable, yeah. Uh, some might say sloppy. Uh, I like the, the 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 power effects in the background on the yes, front on agreed. the front image. Um, I don't the, the weird that I guess like the ponytail on Nightwing. That, well, that's Nightwing from twenty twenty one, so he's supposed to look different. But all right, yeah, but I mean, it, it's like, not I can't a good tell look. His hair, yeah, it doesn't. It, yeah, I've seen other stuff by Tom Grinberg that I've actually liked, but this is not. His costumes ridiculous with the big ear wings and. Yeah, just yeah. well. well I, I almost don't blame him for the costume because the costume itself is probably just a riff on the Troya costume that Perez designed. But um, yeah, it's Grinberg. I mean, he ruined some Firestorm comics too. He made them smell bad for a while too. So uh, writer on this is Marv Wolfen, who is writing uh, the Titans at the time, and I will have nice things to say about Marv in a minute. And the border is black because he's a villain. And at this point, the New Titans is on issue number eighty-one. As I said, only about just a couple months since uh, the introduction of this character. And if you want more in this character, I recommend you go nowhere ever. Um, or check out the Pop Culture Affidavit blog or that trade paperback I mentioned. All right. Next up is Maxi Zeus, Batman villain for Spirit Detective Comics number 483, drawn by my favorite, Jim Aparo. Uh, I really only know this character from his one appearance in Batman and the Outsiders, uh, which was ironically, from what I remember, not drawn by Jim Aparo, actually. It was drawn by Trevor Von Eden. Oh, okay. Uh, where, uh, Mac, where Zeus took on Batman at the Los Angeles Summer Olympics. 1984, remember when, baby. Remember when we used to have a Olympics. That was fun. Uh, so, uh, but again, he's a he's a Gotham underworld gang leader who sort of thinks of himself as this, you know, the, the, obviously Zeus. I mean, dresses like Zeus. He's you know, Max Zeus is reportedly a former professor of Greek and a foremost expert on their history and culture. Some unexplained events led Zeus to leave academia and turn to crime. So, okay, there's that. Uh, on the insets, we see him confronting Alfred. We see him zapping Batman with one of his lightning bolt thingies, and then him in his uh, straight jacket because, of course, he's an Arkham Asylum because he's not. <laughs> yeah, this character for me, like because he appeared in Outsiders, and I wasn't reading at the time, but it was always at the um, convenience store when I go look at comics when I was buying them. It was always th- those issues of Batman and the Outsiders hung around for a long time, which to me reinforced them in my mind. And uh, as an adulthood, I realized it means oh, because nobody was buying them. But anyway, um, so to me, he'd always been like a major player. And then I read in oh, for me, so I knew him from there. I knew him from the Arkham Asylum graphic novel. Graham Morrison put him in there uh, in a very creepy sort of position but then when i find out he was only created in 1979 I'm like oh wow you know again I, it's it's like the riddler you think the riddler been there since the beginning but no he came along later so i, I didn't know this guy came along later so it kind of surprised me I, I am if you could folks in the comments let me know the good maxi zeus story to read please because i don't know of one i don't know where a story is that's going to make me fall in love with this character and i'd like to so um the entry is written by bob greenberger Quarters, the borders black. Now, Detective Comics number 43 is the first appearance in 1979. Rob, take a look at the first column, second paragraph, where it says, uh, who believes himself to be the reincarnation. Ah, uh, yes. Another typesetting mistake. Eileen! So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's a weird line break between reincarnation and then of the Greek god Zeus. There's a big dead space there. So, yeah, that's that's a, mm. that's a typesetting mistake. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, if you want more Maxi Zeus at this point, if you were reading Who's Who, he just appeared in Batman just last month. You could also check out, of course, our nightcast here on our network or overlook dark night or look for Siskoid's upcoming Batman and the Outsiders uh, uh, podcast. 
I can't wait for that show. That's not really a thing. That's going to be great. Uh, next up is another event. Wow, now we've got two events. And again, speaking of Siskoid, we've got Millennium, which first appeared, <laughs> in, which first appeared in Millennium number one. Uh, this is drawn by Joe Staten and Mark A. Nelson, text by Robert Greenberger. And uh, look, I, you know, Shag, if you want to talk about Millennium, go right ahead, but I'm not going to bother. I will tell you that Millennium was an eight-issue miniseries. They cranked out one issue a week because they wanted to get it done in two months before anyone realized how bad it was so uh now if you want firestorm here firestorm firestorm well he was a big part of millennium so uh, the art you know the the image here with him in sort of the swamp and the manhunters coming after him i mean it's it's a decent representation of the story it is um just unfortunately where where everything went right with the invasion entry millennium everything went just like millennium in this entry so yeah not no no thanks i mean they 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 talk about the new guardians and the blasters in here guys i mean really or no i'm sorry they talk about the new guardians and i'm just thinking new guardians from this one and blasters and the other one i'm sorry uh two loser groups both came out of this anyway writer on this is bob greenberger um he really did a lot of heavy lifting this issue he really did he really really did i don't have a lot to say on this guys if you want a good defense though of millennium if you want to actually question your own beliefs again go back to justice league international podcast so sorry uh episode 10 i think it was michelle fife was the guest he put on a three-hour defense wasn't really three hours but he put on a defense of the millennium book that will make you rethink your position he's that convincing so i really do mean it and someday michael bailey has threatened to do a uh, big special on millennium but that has yet to appear so millennium thank goodness millennium because he made he told me i had to be part of it so millennium is now three and a half years old when this came out so let's move on it's only because i respect michelle fife so much that i even gave that any any of my time (laughs) okay uh so next up are the new titans Uh, of course this image is the same image on the cover except the background is colored differently on the uh on the on the cover uh the background that they're standing on the rock formation is brightly colored in here it's kind of a dull gray i think i prefer the cover more um i was going to say it's another version of the want to make something of it thing but i don't really think it is because it's no arms aren't folded it really is just a, 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 a downshot of the team at that point um like i mentioned i had long since given up on the new teen titans so uh i don't get what you know like i, I don't remember any of these characters <laughs> them. now again the, the history is a little confused because it says okay historical first appearance brave and bold 54 current dc comics presents 26 but then it says created by marv wolfman and the george perez well not really i mean this is all coming from the teen titans which were not created by wolfman and perez i mean all credit to them but i mean some of these characters were not created by them and neither was the concept of the teen Titans. no you're absolutely right they, they are trying to make the distinction of the new titans right. were created by marv that wolfman group, right yeah, yeah uh, and calling them new titans rather than the new all new teen titans or whatever the, the initial name was so yeah that's the distinction they're trying to make is new titans were created by them so i, I get it i do like all the little heads reminds me very much of like uh, the old justice league stuff when they put the heads mm-hmm. on stuff but so all right here's the deal so you know wolfman wrote the all new teen titans with perez and they were great collaborators and once perez left you know the, the book was what hot for what 40 50 issues you know but once the baxter series launches you know the shine starts to come off and the series wasn't as popular anymore and it really treaded water for a long time then wolfman gets this new editor john peterson who comes in and completely re-energizes him and they get tom grumman on the book who's is i mean i think you would agree tom grumman's fantastic yes, he's one of my right. favorite artists to come out of the late 80s and 90s he, he's almost like a john byrne of that era like he can draw anyone and they look convincing and you always know it's his style but it doesn't look bad it looks really good 
So um, Peterson comes on as the editor and really re-energizes Marv. And he completely revamps the new Teen Titans. And if you think about it, Marv's strong points are taking characters, uh, like when he created the original new Teen Titans, you know, taking characters from different places, bring them together, get yourself some savage characters, get yourself, you know, he, he has a history of writing vampires, so he adds a vampire into this sort of thing. And it's really shaking things up. And love it or hate it or not recognize it, it was exciting. I mean, Titans became a hit book again after, after you know, sort of trolling around the middling for a long time it became a hit book to the point where by this point there were three books on the shelves you got to the point where you had new titans you had uh, team titans you had deathstroke it suddenly became a franchise again unfortunately it was a star that burned very bright for a very short period of time it didn't last all that long the hotness but it was very exciting at the time and what you've got here is the team as they were right after the titans hunt so you got you know of course nightwing and starfire and all that but then you get and you get red star and and changeling and cyborg has been redone in troya but then you get the new characters like pantha and you get um uh, Phantasm, and you get the Wildebeest. And then surrounding them are the new Teen Titans, who, again, had just been introduced two months ago, about the same time as uh, Lord Chaos. So they really don't belong here, the, the Teen Titans. but Because they even get their own entry in a few pages, so it's very strange that he included the Teen Titans here, but it is a nice representation. I also want to mention that my copy here has some weird marring. It's this black smudge that's, oh, that's Tom Grumman's signature right there when I met him. How cool is that? But uh, I, uh, Can I say, when, yeah. until I read this listing, I did not know that this phantom character phantasm no it says phantom oh does it it's phantasm interesting okay phantom says phantom here uh which is arlene the mystic being who calls himself phantom yep psychic amalgam of danny chase arella and the now cleansed energy force of azareth so danny chase got a second bite at the apple (laughs) he had to die he had to die to get there though and it's nothing like danny chase it's just the telekinetic powers that really power it yeah okay i like that tom grummet got a chance to redraw the cover to new teen titans number one on the inset That's yeah and kind of cool. then nice <laughs> i uh, i i love tom grummets in this era man i mean this this image got me so excited i've actually over the last two days i've been rereading these on the dc app i've gotten through like i don't know like 10 issues already uh just from the titans hunt forward and i am just loved i was reading them, reading them right before we started rob it's just so excited about this era of titans again it's uh it, love it or, or not it's it was marv wolfman hitting it in an exciting stride he was really into it and the book was exciting again which hadn't happened in a long time and I wish this era got more love. I think there's a lot to love there. Again, it didn't last that long, but when it was when we were there, it was great. So, uh, New Titans on issue 81, and uh, entries written by Marv Wolfman, as it should have been. Border is red, of course, for Hero Team. You want more New Titans? Check out the Pop Culture Affidavit. Check out the Titan of the Defense podcast, or yeah, they've got a TV show, man. And um, so, and do we mention Inker Alve? He's so good. Good stuff, good stuff. So next up is, hey, a character I actually know, Nightwing, <laughs> of course, uh, drawn by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Praise be his be name. His name. Uh, an absolutely fantastic image of Dick flying through the skies uh, of, of uh, I guess it's Bloodhaven and not Gotham. I no, this is uh, this is probably New York, actually, at this point. Uh, oh, okay. All right. Uh, now, I am curious about the first appearance. Of course, it says Robin as Robin, Detective Comics number 29. No, his first appearance is Detective Comics number thirty-eight. <gasps> where oh, you're they got right. Twenty-nine from that Detective Comics twenty-nine was Batman's third ever appearance. Bat Robin did not come in that early. Wow. Then it gives the separate first appearance as Nightwing from New Teen Titans number thirty-nine. Of course, this is the costume uh, he's wearing in the newer costume, the one with the, the sort of uh, bird wings kind of thing, as opposed to the original suit that he had in New Teen Titans uh, number thirty-nine. On then the insets, they're wonderful. We've got Batman and Robin. 
Ben. You've got Nightwing on his little cycle, and then him on a date with Starfire. And once again, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez managed. Praise his name. I, well, he did it once. Manages <laughs> to jam in an amazing amount of characterization in such a tiny little spot. I love the way that Starfire is kind of like rearing back at the flowers, and Dick looks all proud of himself. It's just I got this guy. This guy, so, so good, so good, so <laughs> good, ridiculous. Even the cycle. It's just a picture of a motorcycle moving, but it's exciting. It's like you know, Dick hunker hunker down. And, but yeah, the front image with him soaring through the, the city, you know, in, in the perspective, looking down at the buildings, it's almost dizzying how high up he is. Oh, it looks so good. Now, you mentioned the costume. This is Dick's second costume as Nightwing. It's a, it's a vast improvement over the disco collar, that's for sure. Now, do you know what those yellow things are supposed to represent? Uh, are they supposed to represent the Nightwing from Candor? Is that what well, a, a little more vague. Maybe I didn't ask the question very well. Those, those yellow things are actually supposed to represent feathers. That's what that yellow has always supposed to mean was I did not know that. And I, I even know. had an action figure of this at one point. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Hmm. So, uh, and you know, I'm glad you mentioned uh, Bloodhaven earlier too, because here's the crazy thing: this is a period of time where Nightwing has never even headlined a comic. This is still four years away from his very first miniseries. Wow. And, and then it's even further until his ongoing series. So this just shows you back then DC had no faith in these characters in the in the Robin franchise. I mean, it took you know, it was just before this that Robin finally got a miniseries. It takes even longer for Nightwing, which is crazy because nowadays it's like yeah, of course Dick Grayson he's, he's massive he's a massive part of the DC universe but back then they just weren't sure so um, yeah absolutely love it and the writer as we said uh, is Mark Wolfman uh, actually I'm sorry we didn't say that Mark Wolfman wrote it the first appearance of, yeah and also the creative by credits are just, it's just overly complex Robin <laughs> Marvel and George Perez Nightwing which we know even now know that's that's not accurate either right either. <laughs> but okay you know, that's what they were what they were accessing yeah, giving away to at the time but uh, the only thing I think is a little his his powers and weapons are a little short. Uh, there's only like one paragraph and then another sentence. I mean, I know that he doesn't have superpowers, but it just seems a little, I don't know. I, yeah, I feel they, like a little brief there. They could, they could have played up his acrobatics a little bit more, a little more flowery language, perhaps. I can see where you're going from. Yeah. He's also got the, this is also the mullet era of uh, teen, of, of Nightwing, by the way. So that's, that's worth mentioning too. But anyway, uh, he's of course appearing in New Teen Titans at this point. And if you want more, you can check out the Titans TV show. And okay, here's something weird. And, and if I'm misspeaking about any of our friends, I sincerely apologize, but how is there not a Nightwing podcast in our circle of friends? That's crazy. Yeah, there's Robin ones. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Batgirl ones. But yep. yeah, there's no Nightwing ones. There's yeah, multiple Batgirl ones. <laughs> yeah. All right. Hmm, somebody get on that. Come on. Uh, so next up is Obsidian from Infinity Inc. All-Star Squadron, of course, drawn by Marshall Rogers and written by Robert Greenberger. Uh, I don't know the connection, if there if there is any, to Marshall Rogers to these characters. I cannot uh, think of one. I didn't even know Marshall yeah. Rogers was still drawing at this point. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I, but it's fine. I like. I would love Marshall Rogers, and we see him phasing through a wall. And uh, again, for a character that you know, like it's sort of funny when you compare it to the previous listing, right? Like Nightwing gets two columns of information, and Obsidian, Obsidian gets <laughs> t- gets two columns plus a couple more sentences, which is just sort of like wow. They managed to fit the history of Robin, one of the most famous characters <laughs> in all comics, in just two columns. But Obsidian needs even a little more space than that. It's like, Robert well, Greenberger is a little wordy compared to Marv Wolfman, I guess. <laughs> I guess so. I don't. I don't know. But otherwise, it's good. I always like uh, Obsidian. 
mean, I actually really loved him in uh, 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 oh, Kingdom Come. Oh, okay. Uh, they put him in the trench coats of Excellent. They really used him quite effectively there. This is interesting. Uh, it says created by Roy Thomas, Jerry Ordway, and Mike Macklin. That's the only time I can think of where the inker is included. Hmm. Maybe, maybe because there's the so much black on it. <laughs> I may, Yeah, maybe so. I don't know. Except on the insets, we see him uh, fighting with Jade, and we see him uh, as a boy, and we see him in this uh, shadow form. Uh, I mean, you know, I always like this character because I liked Infinity Inc. I liked their appearances in Ultra Squadron. I think, you know, does he need this much information on him? Maybe not, but it, what, what the hell? It's upsetting. It's a, I love the character concept of this character, but I haven't really read a lot of great stories with him. That's always my trouble. Like, I, the, the Marshall Rogers drawing, by the way, uh, you mentioned he's phasing through a wall. Actually, what's happening there is he's a shadow on the wall, and he's he's coming off of being half shadow and being half person. I mean, he's really, really expertly designed and laid out. I love the drawing. It's not terribly exciting, but I love the drawing. I think it's really, really sharp, and I like that logo, too. I think it looks nice. Um, so here's something that 30-plus years later I realized as I was reading this entry, and I'm horribly embarrassed about not ever seeing before now, and I hope I'm not the only one, uh, Obsidian and his sister Jade. Yeah, both of those are gemstones. How did I never put that together, that brother oh, and sister I are both gemstones? I never even thought about that. Okay. You didn't either? No, I never thought about that. Oh, thank goodness. I don't feel so stupid. Okay, great. Woof. Um, now, later on, you know, uh, in the JSA books, Jeff Johns would have uh, Obsidian come out and be gay, which uh, was an interesting development for the character. I like that. And, uh, and he came a bit, a bit more interesting there because he also, they, they experiment with his darker side in JSA. But again, I'm, I still haven't found the greatest Obsidian story ever. Anyway, um, he, you know, he joined the Justice League, the Justice League of America for a while there with Blue Devil in that era, which was uh, the least impressive era of Justice League ever. All right, so Infinity Inc. had been over for three years at this point, so I don't really know why he got an entry. So uh, either way, he's read, of course, for Hero, and you mentioned the All-Star Squadron was his first appearance, so there we go. Uh, the one bit I like, and it mentions in the Powers and Weapons, where it says Obsidian has limited telepathic abilities, which have never been fully studied. He maintains a mind link with his sister, yada, 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 and he says it is able to channel psychic feedback to a victim if their shadows touch. The victim is made to face some inner horror for an undetermined for an undetermined duration. I like that a lot. That's cool i kind of forgot about that that was part of his shtick uh and of course they do that in in kingdom come a lot but i really that's a that's a that's a fun power and i like how vague it's sort of referenced like in inner horror that can mean a lot of different things and that could what does that mean like a scarecrow kind of thing is it something worse than that it's it's kind of sinister for a hero here's your Freudian moment folks rob just called that fun so um you you're, you're scaring me man isn't that also kind of cloak and that what he did he do the same thing too i think i think yes that's true that's yeah. true he did do that all right so next up is uh Panther from the New Titans, number 73 or number 74, depends on your point of view. Uh, again, this is another one of these characters. No idea who it was no, outside of this listing. No familiar with no familiarity with them at all. Alter Ego, not applicable, a.k.a. X-24. Isn't that the female Wolverine? Well, that's uh, that's what my note was. Actually, the female Wolverine, uh, his clone daughter is X-23. <laughs> so this is the one after her. And yet she appeared like 20 years before the other one. Yeah, very, very odd. I don't. Uh, created by Marv Wolfman and Tom Grummet, and uh, the listing is by Marv Wolfman and mentions that virtually nothing is known to Panther's history, which suits the she cat perfectly. What little is known is as follows. And then it goes through this thing about the Wildebeest Society, which is very silly sounding. <laughs> well, she'd only been around for about seven months. And they really didn't want to reveal much about her yet. She was, 
and, and again, I've, I've read like 10 issues or something just in the last day or two. She was kind of a generic cat person, really. They, they didn't really develop her a lot other than she was a victim of experimentation. And you didn't know whether she was a human turned into half cat or a cat turned into half human. Um, but I kind of liked her. I mean, in the early days, she did just kind of growl a lot and complain. But that came around. She became a uh, sort of interesting character. I wish they'd kept her around longer. She eventually becomes a bit of a mother figure to the wildebeests on the team. But you got to talk about the cover, though. I mean, the front hair. Uh, Grummet and Vey drawing her. I mean, she looks awesome. She looks sexy. She looks powerful. She looks scary. Uh, she just looks awesome all the way around. I love the drawing. Do you like the art, at least? How were their big cat feet look sexy to you? Okay. Uh, <laughs> I mean, no, the artwork is great. I mean, again, we've gone on and on about Tom Grummet. Great. I think underrated. Solid superhero artist. And he makes what can be ridiculous-looking characters look kind of cool. So, now yeah, this is great. And I even like the logo, for once. I usually kind of ding on these logos. At this point, there's not really much more to say about Panther. Again, I like her. And, you know, we lo- as we- you were just talking about Tom Grummet. You know what I should have pimped in the insect trades? I should have pimped Section Zero, guys. If you want to read some awesome, more recent Tom Grummet, go check out Section Zero, written by Carl Kessel. And it, 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 it recaptures all my love of uh, Grummet era with Kessel fun. So, anyway, it's fun. So, great. I'm enjoying New Titans, and we've said enough about it. Let's move on. Yeah. Next up, Ragman. Hell yeah. Drawn by Pat Broderick. Text by Robert Lauren Fleming. This character actually is a creation of Robert Kaniger and Joe Kubert. Uh, the reason he gets a listing is because they had already started a new, I think they were just about to start a new Ragman series or it, they it, had yet? It was on issue three of a miniseries. They had already. Okay, the new miniseries. Uh, he first appearances, of course, the first series from 1976. It has drawn, Broderick just crushes this. Yeah. He, he makes this character look, for a character with a kind of, I actually love his cloak, like the ripped cloak. It's the the the, the, the pink stitched together costume and with like the little <laughs> Don Martin feet that I don't know if I'm a big fan of. Boy, <laughs> the way he, the way Broderick poses this with Ragman jumping off this building and this cape fluttering in the breeze looks fantastic. This is really one of the, just art-wise, pro, mm, the second best listing in the book. Uh, I'm, we're getting to my favorite uh, shortly. Uh, but uh, but otherwise, I mean, art-wise, it's just, he just crushes it. It looks fantastic. Look at that logo too, man. It's a great logo. I mean, that's from the original comic at least. Oh, is it? Oh, I thought yeah, it was from yeah, the miniseries. Okay. Now it's from the, the original book. I mean, this thing is freaking stunning, folks. I mean, this was a, a flip the page, very kapow moment. I mean, wow. Now, the, the interesting thing here is it gives the first appearance, as you mentioned, Ragman number one from 1976. This really should have been an instance where it said historical and current because they did completely revamp this character in the miniseries, but maybe because it was still happening, they didn't realize it. I don't know. Because the original one, you know, Rory's the guy here, right? Uh, Rory Reagan. In the original one, his dad and his friends were electrocuted, and Rory touches them, and the power transfers from his dad and friends into him, and he, and he wears the suit. Whereas in modern one, uh, it's actually the suit itself is full of evil souls. And another big change here, too, is, and I didn't remember this, but, you know, he's, he's well-known as a Jewish superhero. He wasn't that in pre-crisis. They never established that. That is only a post-crisis thing, which I really didn't realize. I thought that had always been with the character. So uh, it's really fantastic here. The reboot here was done by Giffen. Uh, Keith Giffen and Robert Lauren Fremming wrote it. Uh, Pat Broderick was drawing it. And, and you know, it's, it, wow. I, and I love the name, Tatterdemalion of Justice. What an awesome <laughs> catchphrase. That's just freaking awesome. So, and this is another example of really doing a great job cross-selling. Because, you know, this is, who knew who's who is supposed to promote what's currently on the shelves. Well, we're getting a lot of new Titans as it's a hot book. We're getting Ragman, who's only, you know, on issue three. We saw Lord Chaos, who's only a couple months old. So they're doing a good job with the cross-selling here. So the writer in this 
this one is Robert Lauren Fleming, who was helping to write that miniseries. And again, I, I mentioned the first appearance should have been updated, and it's red for hero. And then Ragman number three was on the shelves. And if you want more on Ragman, are you aware that he was a reoccurring character on the Arrow TV show? No, but now that you say it, nothing surprises me anymore. That's probably true. Book, yeah. So I, I don't know that it was my favorite interpretation, but it was there. And um, and also if you want more, you know, um, you can check out the Shadow Pack series and stuff like that. Sean Ross and I talked about this character not too long ago on the uh, FW Presents during JL May when we talked about Day of Vengeance. So really, really, man, that Broderick piece is so yeah, he, good. Yeah, he, he really, he really brought it. Killed it. Uh, sorry. So next up is the Rands family. Oh, here's Legion. Rob's favorite entry. The, yeah, the Legion of Superheroes, which of course Garth Rands and. Uh, Imra Rands, Lightning Lad, and Saturn Girl. Uh, here we've got heroes retired. I think is this the first listing we're getting to where they they make that distinction? I can't. Yeah, remember I think so. They, they've been kind of silly with some of these a few times, but yeah, I think this is the first time it said retired. Yeah. So I mean, it's again, it's Lightning Lad and Saturn Girl from Adventure Comics number two forty seven, the beginning of the Legion of Superheroes. So uh, I mean, obviously, there's been a lot of Legion history uh, happening since the last uh, Who's Who series, and so this gets into all that. It's written by Tom and Mary Beerbump. They don't waste an inch i think we've talked about that they never do <laughs> they really feel it's like you give them this much space that's how many words they're going to give you and he talks about that they both quit the legion and so they've since retired and had children and we see them cradling their kids uh on the uh, on the front there and then we see them back i mentioned i don't know if i mentioned it was drawn by dan jurgens and scott Hanna. And, it, and it's jurgens trying to emulate the way they look in the 5yl era and yet he doesn't go for all the gif and darkness so i don't know that it really works um the 5yl wor- look works when Giffen does it. I don't know if it really works here. Now, I will say, Saturn Girl, any age, mom, not a mom, still hot, always hot. But um, where this gets really messy is their son. They have a son and Darkseid is angry at them for helping defeat him so they, he actually steals their son, sends him back in time, and that son grows up in history to become Validus, one of their own enemies, which is a huge thing. At this point, they've reclaimed the child as theirs, and they're helping raise them, and uh, there you see him in the tank sort of floating along. Now, um... I don't, there's some really confusing crap in here uh, from the 5YL, where actually this isn't even Lightning Lad. Lightning Lad's dead, and he's been dead for decades, uh, or, or years at least, and really, she married Prody, the shape-changing creature. Oh, all right, can we move on? All right, fine, that's fine. Oh, they, got, they got four kids, the uh, border's red, as we talked about. First appearances are all there. Legion of Superheroes was on issue 24 at this point, and if you want, check out the Legion of Super bloggers, and um, there, Ange did an exceptional recap of every issue of the 5YL era and even though Rob's huffing and puffing it really was very good whenever minimal chances that I'll ever read a Legion comic I feel like I get further away from it with every listing that we cover it Just all right, especially since next up is the creme de la creme of this issue, nay, the entire Who's Who Leaf uh, Loose Leaf series. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I'm, I'm standing by that. Rex the Wonder Dog, Woo-hoo! Uh, who first appeared in the Adventures of Rex the Wonder Dog number one. That's right, he had his own series right out of the uh, gate, baby. Right out of the gate, uh, he is two eight and eighty pounds. Uh, <laughs> on the on the insets, we see little Rex about to get a shot. We see. <laughs> we see the the, uh, the service man, and then we see uh, Rex riding a horse. Yes, a dog riding a horse. Uh, <laughs> this, this is so fantastic. This piece, I love it completely. And I will say, I I um I wanted so badly to have a Rex related sting.
hoping to be this, uh, to end this episode. But there, unfortunately, Rex has not really appeared much in uh, other mediums. But luckily, Shag, you managed to bring us something which people will get to enjoy at the end of this episode. Yes, I did, folks. Uh, stick around to the end and you'll actually hear the artist of this entry, Ty Templeton, tell you about how he got to commission, uh, got the commission to draw this and what happened to the artwork afterwards. So stay tuned for that, folks. You'll find that at the end of this episode. So I, I got to say, you know, Mark Wade really leaned into the humor on this one because, you know, Rex more recently had appeared in Secret Origins and they really went for a gag. They really tried to make Rex sound like Captain America in that Secret Origins issue. And so here he, he's leaned into that. They got base of operations mobile just so long as there's a fire a fire hydrant handy, you know, which is kind of funny. And the whole beginning, forged in the flames of the Second World War. He was this nation's greatest four-footed ally, a furried in fang symbol of democracy, a feral foe to those who would undermine all that truly makes this country and land of the free and home of the brave. He is, uh, although what, he is a wonder dog, he was Rex. You know, it's just great. It, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> you know, tongue firmly planted in cheek. And uh, it's really, really great. Now, Rob, do you notice the recon in here is that he doesn't age because of the serum. There's no mention of the fountain of youth. No, no, they don't talk about that. <laughs> From our beloved whatever happened to episode, uh, our issue. That was so good. So they do mention his recent appearance in Flash, which was great. Uh, they also, uh, you know, he had 46 issues of his own book, which is, you know, that's almost as many as Aquaman's ever had. It's true. So- <laughs> All right, folks. So Ty Templeton is your artist. You can check out Rob and I. We talked about uh, this on a Whatever Happened to episode. We talked about Rex the Wonder Dog, our absolute love. And you can hear Rob do his impersonation of Detective Chimp on that same episode. Yeah, that's right. I, I, I cannot tell you how much I love this piece. I it really is really it. a joy. Really, oh, by uh, the way, mine's signed by Ty Templeton. It, uh, it is. It is. It's fantastic. And it's everything that I want out of Who's Who. It's this kind <laughs> of thing. Just absolutely love it. And I, I love Wade's final line where Rex remains as always ready to take a bite out of crime and justice when needed. <laughs> now remember, folks, stick around to the end and you can hear well, how this entry even ended up in this book. So there we go. I just want to mention one more time, Rex rides a horse on the inside. <laughs> Expertly, too. Expertly. Yeah, right. He's just holding the reins with the exactly. horse. And the horse is like going either fast or bucking one or the other. Fantastic. He's riding fast because he, he understands Rex is telling him where to go. Stop it. So, all right. Uh, <laughs> now we're now we're uh, metaphorically back down to Earth. Tamaran, uh, which is, of course, Geography for to in New Teen Titans number three. Here it's drawn by once again Tom Grumman and Al Vey, getting a lot of workout in, in this uh, in this issue. Created by Marvel Minute George Perez. So despite being an entire planet, uh, there's not a lot to say about this uh, this place because uh, you have one column completely blank. <laughs> Can I tell you what my notes say? Uh, move on to the next one. Vega, Vega, Vega. That's all I got. So okay. written by Mark Wade. <laughs> First appearance is New Teen Titans number three. Back I in said the that, yes, yes. Oh, okay. So I don't even have to bother. You want more on them? You could actually check. They, it does actually fe- uh, feature in the t- uh, Titans TV show, which is kind of cool. Next. All right, great. All right. So next up are the Teen Titans, which we already partially covered uh, with the new Titans listing. But here it's there. We're talking about this five specific members, Red Wing, Knight Rider, Kilowatt, Mar- Raj and Terra, uh, not drawn by Tom Grummet this time. Actually, it's Kerry Gamble and Alvey. And much like with Tom Grummet, I say about Kerry Gamble, kind of underrated. You know, yeah, solid superhero agreed. work. Uh, these characters to me are incredibly stupid looking. But, oh. uh, but, but I'm, I'm sorry they are. But Kerry Gamble manages to put it across because he's just such a solid artist. 
So, all right, we talked a little bit about them already. They're essentially two months old at this point, and they're about 10 months away from getting their own ongoing series. And at this point, you see they're called Teen Titans. This is probably the last time you'll ever see them referred to as Teen Titans. After this, they become Team Titans, T-E-A-M. I'm not sure what happened there, whether it was a legal thing or whatever. I don't know. But we've talked a lot about this already. So they come back in time to kill Troya, right? And turns out there's a lot of these various groups or teams here in this time period. And there's, you'll, you'll love this, Rob. Uh, their actually boss is this mysterious shadowy leader that we never see. And apparently that was intended to be, wait for it, Danny Chase. Oh, dear. Oh, dear Lord. But don't worry. They changed it to make a lot more sense. They make it Hank Hall. How much you love that? So behind the scenes, what happened here with the Team Titans book, it was really a, a, a miscommunication. They launched the series, and what DC wants out of this is a new X-Force. They want DC's answer to X-Force over at DC, right? But the writers, they were planning something else entirely. So what DC expected and what the writers were writing didn't really meld, and it, so it made for a bit of a jumbled mess. And by the time Zero Hour comes around a year to, a few years later, DC just pulls the plug on it. They're like, all right, let's get rid of it. They actually read con all of these characters out of existence except for two of them, Mirage and Terra. Uh, they do try and connect this Terra to being the original Terra. Uh, they try and say she's the same girl until later on in another story they decide she wasn't. And uh, they, there really was a lot of potential though. Again, it's, it's Marv Wolfman creating new exciting characters. He's got, you know, an energy character and an elemental character. And he's got a vampire and he's got, you know, a flying person. So he's, he's really trying to hit all the, the, the high points. And again, it's just the series didn't necessarily pay off. And, and Wolfman left the series to do other stuff. So um, there's there's yeah here you go here's a very 90s thing Rob so issue number one they, and remember I told you about X Force remember how X Force was a big deal when it came out they made five different covers to issue number one and the reason they did this is because the way the comic was published the front story was the same in all five versions but the back eight page story was different for example if you bought the one with uh, Red Wing on the cover the eight page backup story is about Red Wing if you bought the one with uh, Kilobyte on the cover the eight page backup was about Kilobyte so in order to get all the various eight-page stories by these characters, you had to buy all five covers. Uh-huh. Yeah, so it was a very 90s kind of thing to do, very much like X-Force. I'll shut up in a minute, I promise. Anyway, the characters had a lot of potential, it just unfortunately didn't pay off. So, um, I, I agree. Carrie Gamble, very underrated, really deserved better. And Marv Wolfman, as we said, and... I really do think the, this this series could have gone somewhere. These could have been the next big teen characters. It just didn't happen for them, folks. Hmm. Okay. Come on, talk about, talk about the next one. It's great. All right. The Untouchables are actually just Untouchables. Uh, on the front, it says Untouchables, exclamation mark. And then on the back, it's The Untouchables, the villain team from DC Comics Presents number 58, uh, drawn here by Brian Stelfreeze. Woo-hoo. The original Who's Who, they were drawn by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Praise be his name. They've got kind of an interesting combo is that they look like old-timey gang from the 1920s but then they are <laughs> but they've, they've also got all these robotic parts and we see they've got like robot hands in the interim between their last listing and this one uh they fought hawk and dove so you know i guess that's exciting uh, <laughs> we also see them taking on the elongated man it mentions that of course their references like dillinger and bonnie and clyde uh, they got a cool look i mean and this this piece by stealth is really cool it's got a lot of great motion to it in their old-timey car uh but uh i mean of course i think i prefer prefer the JLGL one, but nevertheless, this is still pretty sharp. Oh, I love this piece, though. I mean, they're both exceptional. I think I don't think you have to rate one or the other. I think they're both great. I do think it's kind of cute in the taxi cab next to them. Clark Kent's reading the newspaper and doesn't notice them, which is adorable. Oh, I know. Uh, 
didn't even notice that. Yeah, I just noticed it just now. So they're really got a, again a great look, a great kind of gimmick. But if you look at their history, you know they in, in the in the entry it mentions they fought Looker. It mentions they fought Hawk and Dove. I'm like, wow, really impressive. Who are you going to fight next, Jericho? So um, Peter Sanderson wrote the entry, and the border is obviously black for uh, the villain team. And I'm not sure if you said DC Comics number 58 from 1983 is their first appearance. Uh, it's also kind of cute. They mention here they're role play- RPG game players. So they're role players. So, you know, Cisco could have been part of the Untouchables. <laughs> sure. So, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, did they make that many appearances that they deserved a new listing? But okay. No, I, I don't think so. I j- well, probably the Hawk and Dove was probably the most recent one but again it's worth it for me to see this stealth freeze piece i just love it so it's a nice listing um next up is valor who i know as mon l of course drawn by the great adam hughes who absolutely brings it with this piece uh it's valor is all in colors in his you know superman colored suit in front of a black and white background where he's coming into space it's just an absolutely stunning piece he's got the flasher squinty eyes to sort of emulate superman which is great yeah if you don't know your history there i mean look at his suit guys it's reverse of superman's colors it's all right there now this is valor this is Monel when he was in the 20th century. He's part of the acronym Legion. This spins right out of invasion. And uh, what's going? The reason he's getting this entry is because at this point, literally on the same on the shelves, the same month as this issue, of who's who? There's an annual where they talk all about how Valor seeded all these planets all around the galaxy, and that's why he becomes such a legend. So when he gets to the 30th century, he's revered as a hero. Basically, they were using Valor to plug the gaps now that Superboy was no longer part of the uh, the, the post-crisis continuity. So uh, yeah, it's, it's a stunning piece. It absolutely, absolutely is. You get your first appearance, Superboy 89. From 1961, your writer is Tom and Mary Beerbaum. So, as Rob loves to say, they don't miss a word. They get them all in there. You managed to fit Lobo in the in the little inset pictures, which is great. Border is red. Check out the Legion of Super Bloggers for more information on him, and also uh, check out First Strike Invasion because he's in there. Superb piece, actually, just superb piece. Uh, and then uh, finally, uh, we've got Wildebeest, another member of the New Titans, uh, another character that I'm completely unfamiliar with, drawn by Tom Grumman and Alve. So once again, it looks really pretty. <laughs> well, the Wildebeest uh, was a bad guy of the Titans for a while, and then you found out it was a Wildebeest Society, which was a group of them, and then there's a whole big storyline there with the Titans on. And then at the end of it, they have this creature they grew as a baby, which grows up and becomes this version of Wildebeest, who actually becomes a member of the team. So he's actually uh, like a baby, an infant in the uh, adult, massively powered body. It was a, a little bit for comedy, a little bit of cuteness. You, uh, Panther and Red Star kind of acted as a surrogate parents. It was a cute idea um, to turn a villain into a, a cute, adorable little guy. So anyway, first appearance is uh, New Titans number 36. And then this version of uh, Wildebeest was New Titans 84. And uh, New Titans was, uh, really? New Titans 84? Huh. So this is actually before the character appeared because New Titans 81 was on the shelves at this point. So, mm-hmm. hmm, or maybe I've got my dates a little. Well, I don't know. This is February 92 and this issue came out in November 91. How crazy is that? <laughs> I guess they're showing us where they're going. Anyway, so uh, yeah, we've talked about Titans today. So head there. That is the last entry of the book, Rob. So very quickly, give me a rundown. Who? What were your favorite uh, art pieces in the book? Monel, uh, Untouchables, mm. Ragman, mm-hmm. uh, Nightwing, mm-hmm. and uh, the the number uh, well, the Lana Langby Ross one is really good. Green Arrow is really good. Uh, Animal Man is really great. But the winner has to be Rex, the one. <laughs> All right, my list is Animal Man, uh, Injustice League. Uh, I like the Anarchy piece as well. Nightwing, uh, of course, Rex. Ragman is probably my favorite entry in the issue. Even though I love the. Exhibit- Distance of Rex, I think the Ragman one is just amazing. Untouchables. And then uh, all of Tom Grummet's P 
pieces, I think, get recognition because they're all gorgeous. None of them really necessarily stand out as my favorite because I think he had to draw so many of them. But uh, Grummet, is, it's just he killed. He crushed it this issue with so many inches. It's great. All right, folks, uh, that is Who's Who number 14 in the bag. We are going to take a podcast promo break. And when we come back, we are going to cover your listener feedback. Warlord Worlds, a fan podcast devoted to the comics of writer and artist Mike Grell, including The Warlord, John Sable, Green Arrow, Star Slayer, and Shaman's Tears. I'm Ruth. And I'm Darren. Please join us as we discuss the stories, characters, and art in the many excellent comics from writer and artist Mike Grell. Special episodes feature interviews with Mike Grell himself. And special segments feature great guests discussing the Legion of Superheroes. Listen at Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and YouTube. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or visit WarlordWorlds.com. Warlord Worlds is part of the Rad Adventures Network at RadAdventuresNetwork.com. April of 1940 at DC Comics... With Bob Kane, Bill Finger, and Jerry Robinson would introduce the world to the first sidekick, Dick Grayson, a.k.a. Robin, the Boy Wonder, in issue 38 of Detective Comics. With the first year of Batman's crime fighting under his utility belt, the editors at DC wanted a way to bring in younger readers to their books. They wanted to give them a POV into Batman's character and a hero they could relate with and see themselves swing across Gotham City's streets alongside Batman. Robin was the window. Over the last eight decades, there have been many incarnations of Batman's trusted partner. From the comics, TV, silver screen, video games, animation, and toys, Robin has been at Batman's side in his, or her, classic look of red, green, yellow, and black. This year, in 2020, we will see DC Comics celebrating the 80th anniversary of Robin, and so will Terrence, Ryan, and myself here on the podcast. Every other episode this year, well, <laughs> as long as Rob can keep everything straight, will have us following Tim Drake in the 1990s slash 2000s DC timeline. The following episode, we will be joined by a selection of special guests throughout 2020. The guests will be selecting their favorite Robin in a story that connects them to the character. It could be a comic, movie, animation. Hey, wait. So, like, uh, we, could we be reading Red Hood and the Outlaws on this show? Or Nightwing? Yeah, that's the idea. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait, so you're opening the door to not just Tim Drake, but any Robin? Yeah. So does that mean Rick Grayson? Yeah, like the new 52 Helena Wayne, Robin of Earth 2? Heck, even the pre-crisis Robin of Earth 2? Or, dare I even say, Damien? Batman Forever? 1950s Detective and Batman Stories? Batman 66 episode? Batgirl Stephanie Brown? Teen Titans Robin with Wolfman and Perez? Jeff Johns and... Oh no. No. Scott Lobdell? No! Okay, uh, while I give my co-hosts a minute or so to digest all of this information, you can find our show, Robin Everyone Loves the Drake Comic Podcast, through the BatmanUniverse.net podcasting network also available on apple podcasts or wherever you traditionally listen to your podcasts from now if you'll excuse me i think terrence might need a bottle of water or maybe a paper bag oh new 52 it's gonna be okay terrence it's gonna be okay
change of Tim Drake's origin. Don't worry, Terrence. Crazy Red Robin costume. It'll be okay. Uh, Maybe it won't happen. Folks, we're back with Who's Who, Hows and Whys. This is where we cover your feedback from the last episode of Who's Who. But before we do that, we do have an iTunes review. So thank you very much. Goes out to Steve Givens, who writes, great for DC fans. I discovered this podcast right before the COVID-19 shutdown and has been a valuable and entertaining companion during this very strange time. Robin Shag lead listeners on a nostalgic, often humorous journey through the legendary series. Highly recommended if you're a longtime DC fan. Well, thank you, Steve. And we're going to hear from Steve again in just a moment. But uh, folks, if you haven't left us an iTunes review, hey, you know what? Why don't you hop out there and do that? It would be really appreciated. Just your way of saying thanks for um, <laughs> what you don't know is the behind-the-scenes 17-hour recording session this is, because both Rob and I have lost internet, I don't know, like 100 times during this episode. So, <laughs> so yeah, let's get to the feedback from the website, firewaterpodcast.com. And, yeah, once again, Steve Givens is here. Uh, he says, so I found your Husu podcast about seven years late. I forget exactly how it came to my attention, but the idea of going page by page to the seminal book of my childhood with fellow fans was immensely exciting to me. I have been burning through episodes during the quarantine, and now I'm listening to the episode on volume XVII. At the rate I'm going, I should be caught up by the most recent episode by the end of April. Aha. Uh, and then he gives a, a very nice but long story about how he discovered Who's Who, which you can read on the website. I'm going to jump to the end uh, where he says, coincidentally, I listen to your podcast. I sometimes find myself verbally correcting a mistake, seldom as they are, you guys might make about one of the entries or answering a question you ask. I won't go into Shag's pronunciation issues. Hey. But I have cringed more than a few times about how we butcher some of the names. Monsignor Mala? Really? <laughs> Uh, I also is it Monsieur? Yeah, it's Monsieur. Yeah, I should probably pay more attention. Yeah, <laughs> reading I is also, fundamental, kids. <laughs> I also find myself not needing to read the books along with you guys, as your excellent descriptions are enough to bring to mind the pages I remember reading as a child. What enhances the experience through, uh, though, is your own enthusiasm for the book, your astute and humorous assessments of the entries, and the background information you provide. It never ceases to interest me, and you have brought new perspective and appreciation to something that was such an important part of my childhood. Thank you for doing this, and I look forward to getting caught up on the whole series in due course. Wow, Steve, that is, uh, that's an extensive uh, review, and uh, very kind of you. Thank you. Really appreciate it, and I did enjoy your origin story. Thank you very much. And uh, by the way, I'm, I'm now going to call you Rob Darkseed Kelly from now on, because you mispronounce some things, too, sometimes. All right, um, classic. Anyway, then we heard from Ryan Daly, who's part, of, of course, from the Fire and Water Podcast Network, shows such as Batman Nightcast, Midnight the Podcasting Hour, and many more. He wrote, whoever's in charge of the logo, typefaces, and fonts for this entry in this issue should have been fired, dot, 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 out of a cannon into the sun. <laughs> Love that. Thank you, Ryan. Then from Michael Kramer, he says, I think Captain Cold – okay, so last issue, we were talking about how the entry didn't really talk about Captain Cold and uh, Heat Wave really were that connected. And yet we were like, wait a minute, I thought they were kind of like a, a duo. And he says, I think the Captain Cold and Heat Wave bromance was first hinted at in an issue of Justice League America. They were sitting over coffee and decided to pull an old-fashioned bank heist, but they got nabbed by fire and ice. Hmm, interesting. Love that. Then, and this is something interesting. I didn't, I never realized this. Uh, he says the reverse flash wasn't on my radar just yet because he had no part of the 1990 series. However, I noticed that his lightning emblem was in the same direction as Barry Allen's. I had always assumed that it would actually point in the opposite direction as it does today. 
But that particular detail wouldn't come into a standard feature on Reverse Flash's uniform until Jeff Johns created the second generation Reverse Flash in Zoom 2, Hunter Zolomon. I had no idea. I always assumed it was opposite, too. I didn't know they changed that. No, I, yeah, I never noticed that. I didn't know. So then we heard from Damian Whiter, who has his own podcast now. That's how long it's been since our last episode. Uh, he has his own podcast called Should I Love This Comic? He records with his husband. And he writes about Mr. Mitzaplik. He says, you mentioned he was played by Michael Pollard on Superboy, but you missed that he's wearing a Michael Pollard fan club badge on the back. I did not catch that, Bob. I, I thought I mentioned you. that. Maybe I didn't. Nah, you, you don't mention half the stuff. Anyway, um, he says, is it possible that the reason poor dead Aqua Baby wasn't reset with a crisis is because Paul Levitz shepherded that story as the editor of the Michelini run? If the vice president of DC Comics, <laughs> if the vice president of DC Comics wants you dead, you stay dead. It's <laughs> dark, 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 but he may have a point. Yeah. Then, then uh, Sugar and Spike. I have an almost pathological love for Sugar and Spike. Zoom really excelled himself in writing, design, and art. He really conveyed the joy and charm of Mayer's work. Outstanding. Yeah, that's just an unbelievable piece. Completely true. Next up is Gord Tolton, uh, who left a comment, and he says, I'm surprised that Rob didn't remember Jim Apero's connection with Starro, such as Adventure Comics number 451. And then he digs the knife in further by saying, I guess the lead feature was kind of obscure. Uh, which of course he's talking about the Aquaman strip. I, I, yeah, I did completely forget that issue of Adventure Comics, which is ridiculous because it's my favorite run of Aquaman. I still don't think that was the reason why Jim Aparo drew Starro because he drew the character one time 30 years earlier, but, but still my bad for forgetting that story. You're a bad, bad Aquaman fan. Then we heard from Sydney Sapper Osinga. I probably said that wrong, Sydney. I apologize. He says, back in 1992, when Mayfair was revamping their DC Heroes RPG, they released three Who's Who supplements. The interesting thing about them is that they were tied into the loosely Who's Who with the latter serving as a history of the characters and the RPG one covering the game stats. However, a few entries did have brief updates. For example, Cyborg. Yeah, Sydney, uh, we are aware. I've actually got mine inserted in my binders. I've got, so you got the regular Who's Who entry, then the Mayfair entry, which is fantastic. And we do actually have plans to cover it on an episode, and we will give Rob the week off because he wants nothing to do with a role-playing game when we do that. So thank you for bringing it up, though, because we haven't mentioned it in a long time. He also says King Snake was everybody's favorite last entry. Um, that's not true, but he says King Snake was later revealed to be Bane's father, the one whose crimes condemned the unborn child in his place. Oof, boy, that's a, that's a retcon no one remembers. Then he says Howie Mandel played Mr. Mitzaplik on Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. I completely forgot that. I don't even, not sure I remember that, but at least that explains why Mr. Mitzaplik is such a germaphobe. <laughs> oh, man. That show got weird. Uh, (laughs) Symbol pending from the Power Girl blog says, I like to thank all those votes for Dr. Occult for the much more sensible Rose Psychic. Uh, Yes, of course, he's referring to our last episode of Who's That, where we were wondering how Dr. Occult managed to win that poll. Uh, Rigged. Rigged. Yeah, I think it was rigged. Uh, (laughs) David is Gutierrez, uh, owner and operator of the Contana Banana Stand, now with curbside pickup. Okay, check. I like that addition. That was (laughs) Um, wow, were my ears ringing during the recording of this episode? I think, I think that's just tinnitus, David. He says, I think that Shag and Rob are missing the point when I encourage, encourage them to do more <laughs> of these shows. I do so because they're wonderful and they bring out the best in our hosts. True. I call the other shows on Sundays, who cares? And what the hell is this? But it's done so out of pure love, pure love. A few notes. Agreed. The font choices in this issue are questionable. The Arkham piece is marred, I say. 
Mark, uh, which is absolutely true. And then he says, I'm not a fan of the themed issues, so this one falls a little flat for me. That said, there are so many beautiful visual entries in here, all of them touched on by you guys. Um, I, I think him categorizing those texts he sent us out of pure love, I'm, I'm not buying that, so... No. Unless you love the things you hate. But anyway, then we heard from Joe X. He says, nothing really to say about the entries this time, but I did listen to it uh, through the podcast feed on Plex. That is pretty cool. It's kind of neat to hear the people, uh, all the different ways people find their podcast. Thanks, Joe. I, I didn't know we were on there. Uh, so Chris Franklin, of course, from our network, uh, he writes, still listening. Screw you, Shag. I don't even remember what I said. I know. I, that's why I highlighted it. I just thought that was funny. <laughs> Thanks so much, Rob. I appreciate that. Uh, he comments about shrapnel. He says, did you guys catch who shrapnel is standing on? That's Peter Parker, Mary Jane, the Punisher, even has those weird lip scars that Larson gave Frank Castle, and possibly Joe Robbie Robertson. The coloring obscures them, but if you knew Larson's amazing Spider-Man run, he's sneaking Marvel characters into a DC comic. Huh. I did not realize that. Yeah, he I also that. <laughs> he also took us to task by saying, you know, we always say, uh, Rob always says, Kurt Swan drew the same face. And he gives a set of Legion model sheets, which, um, Chris, I'm not sure it makes your argument that you think it makes. <laughs> I was about to say the same thing. Like, <laughs> you know, uh, okay, uh, Saturn Girl looks like Lightning Lad with blonde hair. So, okay. Uh, but then he says, all ribbing aside, great episode, guys. This is a standout issue. But... As a fellow graphic designer, I do have to agree with Rob. These phoned-in logos have reached a new low. The Detective Comics letter column was once called the Bat Game with a neat logo. That could have been used. Mm. Arkham Asylum used the trade dress from the graphic novel. It's a disservice to the great art and presentation of these ugly typefaces marring up the project. Yeah, he's not wrong. He's not wrong. Yeah, absolutely. We heard from Max Traver, who uh, who now has the Max Reads Comics blog. You should check that out. On Starro, you know, we talked about last time about Jim Aparo. Like, I was saying it didn't look like a Jim Aparo piece. And you're like, what are you talking about? And But anyway, he says, oh, you like my impersonation? Then he says, other than the shot of Starro itself, I really thought this was a Bart Sears piece until Rob pointed out the Flash's teeth. That's not weird, is it? <laughs> Flash's teeth? That was the giveaway? Oh, that's strange. Hey, Max, are you a dentist? I don't know. I don't that reference. <laughs> I met the man. I did notice him staring at my mouth, but I thought that was something else. Oh, Lord. Uh, oh, man. Yeah, I think he's probably thinking, when is it going to stop flapping? Uh, <laughs> sugar, sugar and Spike all hail the great and powerful Zoom. This part of the multiverse did not deserve him. That's true, Max. Yeah. Thanks, yeah. Robin Jag. It's alphabetical, so don't start. <laughs> Thanks, Max. I appreciate that. Uh, Adam Ackerman, uh, a.k.a. How do you say this again? Centaurin. It's a Doctor Who thing. Damn it. Centaurin. 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 He says, I'm fairly sure the bat costume in the bat cave is supposed to be the worn one by Thomas Wayne at the masquerade party. Yeah, I hate that, which is why I didn't mention it. They were from Gothos Mansion. It says, I have a fondness for Catman since he was in two of my favorite issues by Len Wein's awesome but all too brief Batman run. I think the Wein issues with Catman were his first appearances since the 60s and his first encounter with Catwoman proper, Selena Kyle. There was one detective issue where Catwoman, uh, I'm sorry, where Batwoman Kathy Kane pretended to join Catman and took on the identity of Cat hyphen woman. <laughs> I don't know if the hyphen was to differentiate her from Selena, who had been absent for several years at this point. Oof, man, that's crazy. But, man, I love me some Catman, so I'll take it. Let's go. Cool. I, I, know, I didn't know that about Cat hyphen woman. That's, that's right? obscure. Well, wow. it kind of fits with the bat hyphen girl kind of thing. I guess so. Oof. 
Uh, Michael Bailey from the Fortress of Bailey Tude Podcasting Network uh, regards Arkham Asylum. I think the parsing of the first appearance here is when it first appeared, it was just Arkham Hospital, and it was Len Wein that made it Arkham Asylum. This is a good example of how many angels give a crap about the stuff on the head of a pin kind of nerd fighting. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that's But that's an interesting observation, Michael. That might be the case, is that they're giving you the historical first appearance and not, you know, like where the letter, letter became, which again shows you how difficult it must be to denote who created what in comics because it's so collaborative. Uh, anyway, he goes on, he says, Eradicator. I honestly don't know whether to gush over the character or Rob's love of kids in the hall. I was in the voice of his 60s radical talking to someone in the 80s. There, man. Vice <laughs> first appeared. Superman didn't so much find it as it was given to him by the cleric. The story that had Superman throwing him into the sun was another one of those storylines that made me love this era of Superman. But I was also into the kids in the hall at the time. So every time I read his name, I heard Bruce McCullough yelling it as he ran out of a conference room. My gosh. I, uh, I'm glad you posted that clip later because I had no idea what you were talking about. I saw a lot of the kids in the hall, but not that. It's such a great sketch. <laughs> Oh, gosh. All right. Then uh, King Snake. I love this. Because all things being equal, this character was something that would have been right at home in a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie from that era. I don't really have a fondness for him outside of the fact that he was in the first Robin miniseries. The thing that makes me not hate him was that 10 or so years ago, I discovered an audio drama that Warner Brothers produced in the late 90s called Legends of Robin. King Snake was voiced by John Shea, Lex Luthor on Lois and Clark. So now I love this guy. <laughs> it all comes back to Superman, Mike. Ah, there's a plug for you, too. <laughs> then we hear from Liz Ann Oswald. Uh, Liz has her own YouTube channel, and she writes that the Arkham ty- uh, typography is kind of weird, meaning the, the font on the logo there. Like they couldn't decide if they were going to do this American-style typography, left to right, or Japanese-style up and down. Yeah, you're kind of right, Liz. That's true. <laughs> Jeff R. says, uh, I guess neither of you are caught up on the Flash. Yeah, that's true. Whoops. Uh, <laughs> Showed her hand there, didn't we? If you can only, if you can say only having seen half a season of a show that's been on seven years is not caught up, yeah, I guess so. Uh, because <laughs> you've missed the latest TV star from the series, Who's Who itself. Cisco's Who's Who, his catalog of new metahumans post-crisis, has appeared a couple of times since last episode. It's even a loosely version. Okay, so I was aware of this, actually, uh, because of you amazing listeners actually sent me the link. Because, again, I'm, I'm a, like two seasons behind on Flash other than Crisis. And, yes, the, the thing with his binder is fantastic. It's awesome. So it was very exciting when I saw that Who's Who binder. Very, very exciting. That's really funny. So thank you for calling us out on that, Jeff, because that's fair. I meant to mention it in the episode. So Then we heard from Diablo Frank from the Rolled Spine Podcast Network. You know, Frank was really on point last episode. We've actually highlighted more of his stuff than we normally do, so this is going to be kind of fun. So he writes, as noted, Art Adams' exaggerations inspired most of the image crew, because we talked about the fact that he was what kind of uh, led the way for the image guys, but he put more work into his outer space background than they did their whole pages. <laughs> Very nice. And he says, uh, I'm with Rob. These logos are rotten. And I assume some misguided editor thought the old-fashioned ones weren't suitable for selling modern audiences on these properties. Oh, so unfair. Then he writes, post-crisis Metallo sucks. His whole thing is that he's a cyborg powered by kryptonite, so he depowers Superman and can kick most other people's butts. The entire point is that he negates Superman, so the Man of Steel either gets help or struggles to overcome without his usual advantages. If he's not the man with a kryptonite heart, who gives a toss? Nobody asked for a full-strength Superman to fight a lackadaisical T-800. Why would that be compelling? Oh, he can absorb metal and machines so he can become a master mold? 
Nobody asked for Superman to fight Sentinels. This is exactly why I dismissed the Triangle Number era. No sense of appropriate scale or understanding how the mythos worked for the first 50 years. Hmm. Yeah, it's some valid points there. Uh, there's a lot to be said um, for Metallo. I especially like the Bronze Age era Metallo myself that appeared in Blue Devil. Uh, he moves on to point S. By the way, you notice that uh, Frank has so many points that he interper- interpolates uh, letters and numbers now. When he oh, yeah, yeah. Because it's like, yeah, he does like L, M, N, O, P, you know, Q, R, S. And then in between that, one, two, three, four, five. So He's almost inventing his new his own alphabet. Yeah, it's very Zodiac. Um, he says, uh, Rayshad Ghoul is easily the best entry from the fine logo placement to the pimp posture. <laughs> and just all around bringing epically shitworthy. Uh, <laughs> Flaming Sambuca has got to be the only overlap between the taste of Roz and Andrew Dice Clay. Surely, <laughs> now I want to hear David Warner do Hickory Dickory Dock with the oh. Anyway, no, man, we are inside Frank's brain. Anyway, <laughs> pronunciation is Raish, and I'll tell you why. The name of Frank's autobiographies. I'll tell you why. Uh, a, lot has, a lot has been made of using the Arabic pronunciation of Raz, but Denny O'Neill has stated that the intent was for the character to be of indeterminate ethnicity, hence the Hebrew twang on the Arabic name. It's stuff like that that makes, uh, which makes him inscrutable to the world's greatest detective. Also, the name and concept are suggested by Julie Schwartz, pronounced Julie, co-creator Denny O'Neill said that that's how it's pronounced. It's a name rather than a noun, and with repeated explicit insistence, Raish is how the definitive portrayal of the character was represented. I wasn't awake for all of my second and final time watching Batman Begins, and Liam Neeson is Dark Man, so whatever to all that. Even if you don't trust me, <laughs> even if you don't trust me, surely you do trust Kevin Conroy. Wow. I mean, that was excellent information, a wonderful argument, and I guarantee I'm still going to mispronounce it next time. It's like my trademark. Um, and then this, this is specifically about Frank and his long diatribes. The best thing about Shag comparing my tracks to Mein Kampf is that according to Godwin's rule of Hitler analogies, I'm made automatically right in any disputes. That said, association with, say, Thomas Paine on the manifesto tip would be more pleasant than the usual more Ted Kaczynski in allusions. Um, yeah, Ted Kaczynski's more where I'm leaning, Frank. Sorry. <laughs> Point X. There, that there is a nice panoramic view of the Batcave. Awful cluttered, though. Bruce should let a vehicle or two go. I, I think Batman is totally a hoarder. <laughs> then we get into point six, which is after X. Uh, he goes, appreciate the shout out for the Marvel handbook, a show that Shag has never listened to. If he had, he'd know that the quote crazy Frank aspect doesn't really fly because it's the best possible rolled spine podcast for people who can't stand me. All right. Now, Frank, I have listened to the show. Now, admittedly, I'm a little bit behind because the, since the pandemic, I don't drive anywhere. So I lose most of my listening time. And what I do have gets eaten up by big finished Doctor Who audio dramas. Sorry, you're losing on that front, Frank. But it, the Marvel Handbook has been an exceptional show, and I do enjoy all the guests. In fact, he goes on here to say, the handbook is admittedly drier and more informational, taking a deeper dive into multiple disconnected entry-centric segments with dozens of guests in a time-based format of under 45 minutes per episode, three to five entries per episode. Yeah, it's kind of serious. The Marvel Handbook podcast is really enjoyable. It's it's shorter than this show, that's for sure. And uh, you get into a lot of different guests, and it's fun to listen to. So, Frank, I do love you, buddy, and I do listen when I can. And uh, he also writes, also, it's our most ages-friendly show with no with the no-no words bleeped out. So you guys should check that out. Then we're from Nick Vector. I think this is the first time Nick wrote in, or it's somebody's pseudonym, and it's really cool. I like that name. Uh, he says, I see that Mr. Mitzaplik was not just tugging on Superman's cape, but he apparently spit in the wind and had pulled the mask off the old Lone, uh, Lone Ranger as well. Uh, I think so. 
Ah, love Jim Croce. Uh, Matt Sorois says, is it possible that the creator credits were put in by whoever wrote the entry? It might explain the inconsistency. Uh, I almost would guarantee that's not the case simply because that, there's so many legal hurdles there that uh, the lawyers would never allow it to just the writers to put in what they feel like because that could potentially cost the company hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars. We are so spoiled in the age of the internet. I mean, could you imagine having to compile this stuff from what uh, reams of paper and yeah. going through old comic binders and asking Mark Wade if he can remember? I mean, geez, mm-hmm. I I'm amazed at what I mean, we we have fun picking at them. But you know what? I'm able to look this crap up on Wikipedia in like four seconds, and they had to just figure it out. So compliments. And there's nothing against you, Matt. I'm not talking about you. I'm just compliments to the editors. Wow. So. Yeah, it's a her- Herculean labor, these books. Yeah, they? absolutely. Then we're from Dr. Ange, who does a Supergirl on blog, comic box commentary, and he's on part of the Legion of Super Bloggers. He writes, Blackfire. I always like that her name is Commander, like Commander, uh, given her militaristic attempts to take over anything. You know, um, Ange, I don't know that I ever pronounced her name out loud before and never realized it's like Commander. So that's pretty awesome. Thanks for pointing that out, man, and making me feel foolish after 30 years. Uh, Female Furies, one of my favorite Kirby creations. Since you talk about other mediums in this show, I ask you to look up the Wonder Woman Barta brawl against the Furies in the Superman Batman Apocalypse animated movie. Just a throwdown and amazing. You know, I have actually seen that, Ange, and I remember being good, but I haven't watched it in a long time, so it may be time to check it out again. And he says, Cobra, my absolute favorite piece in this issue. Pearson just makes him the perfect brooding megalomaniac. Yeah, man, that, that Pearson Cobra piece was unbelievable last issue. It was awesome. He says, uh, regarding Luthor, Lex is dead. Soon we'll get a redheaded clone, Lex 2. Then all the icky Supergirl romance stuff happens. Yeesh. Yeah, that's not good. That's, that's <laughs> not good. And then he ends with, but where are the true heavy hitters of evil in this villain-centric issue? Where are Hyaphis, the Manhawks, Reactron, and the gang? <laughs> I, one thing I love about this guy, besides the fact that we've hung out with him now and met him and just fell in love with him in person too, he is always on point. He 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 finds something and man, he just clings to it. He will not let go of Hyathus, the Manhawks, Reactron, and Gang. And God bless you for that, Doctor Ange. Reactron and the Gang had a lot of hits in the seventies and the early eighties. They were a pretty good band. They, they really were. <laughs> uh, Martin Gray, uh, our pal Martin Gray says, I adore Catman's costume and, as Rob notes, the repurposed Catwoman logo. Just delete two letters and Bob's your uncle. Weren't there also a cat villain who was Selena Kyle's brother? Hang on. Oh, yes. Carl Kyle, king of cats. Catman was played for laughs in Brad Meltzer's Dull Green Arrow run. But without that, we may not have seen him in Gail Simone's Villains United and Secret Six books. So all is forgiven. Hmm. I didn't had no idea about Carl Kyle. That is hilarious. But yes, uh, a second vote for Gail Simone's wonderful uh, interpretation of him. Uh, and then Martin goes on. By the way, Martin has the Too Dangerous for Girl blog. Martin goes on to say Carl Kiesel did a fab job with the female Furies. Mind what? <laughs> I, 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 this is just for this part. There's a whole reason I highlighted this. Mind what a silly name Stompa is. She looks like Catman's sister and sounds like Santa's butchest reindeer. <laughs> Stompa, folks. Remember that on Christmas time. Uh, he continues on. He says that, that Batcave non-logo is really badly placed as well as boring. Brayfogle produced a decent pick, but have you ever seen Dick Sprang's Batcave lithograph that had real magic? Yes, that thing is gorgeous. I can see oh. why they wouldn't use it in Who's Who, but uh, it really is a beautiful piece. And then he says, what? No Aqua Cave? Thank you, Martin. <laughs> uh, and then finally, oh, and if you guys ever read my ruddy blog, you'd have known months ago that there's a new Metal Men book. <laughs> 
See, now I'm going to tell everybody the reason I didn't mention at the top of Martin's piece that he's from the Too Dangerous for a Girl blog was that I was setting up the joke. Oh! He didn't know that he had a blog, but Shag had to jump in in the middle and insert it and ruin the joke. So you're welcome, everybody. That's just how funny Rob is, guys. Uh, Martin, the truth is Rob and I can't read, so that's why we haven't read your blog. And the fact that we hate all new comics because we're old and you should get off our lawn. So the reason Dan- I don't read the Who's Who listings, I can't read. And Dan Tadio wrote the Metal Men books, so I mean, come on. I am going to wait and get caught up when it's all finished on the uh, DC app, though. I'm going to check it out because I love Metal Men. I heard from Mark Ross, who also goes by Cluck Trent, which is like one of my favorite names. <laughs> he says, so I've been re-listening to the original series episodes, and I was listening to uh, issue eight episode a few days ago. You came to Dr. Psycho, and I got really excited thinking for a second that you would talk about the Harlequin animated show. But then I quickly realized that there'd be no such talk because this episode was recorded seven years ago in 2013. So I was disappointed. Then I listened to this episode this morning, and you once again came to Dr. Psycho, and I once again got excited. And this time I was not disappointed. Well, there you go, Mark. You're welcome. That's exciting. Noah Tarnow says, uh, Dr. Psycho, can't believe you both don't love this entry. I think Jill Thompson created an absolute masterpiece of creepiness here. By the way, Psycho had another very prominent TV appearance. He puts that in quotes. He's referenced in an episode of the fourth season of Orange is the New Black, specifically the fact that he's a misogynist. The episode is even titled Dr. Psycho. What? I've seen, I've seen that episode because I've seen every episode of that show. I don't remember that at all. So I have to go back and, and look at that. I don't. I don't recall that at all. Now that's uh, crazy. My my yeah. wife watched that show. Watched that show. Usually when she comes across a comic book reference, she asks me about it. And she didn't ask me about that one. Hmm. I, I don't. Yeah, I don't remember. But, and then he says, uh, "But well, I was just going to say, you know, that that entry, Doctor Psycho. There was a lot going for it, and it had a really kind of cool independent comic vibe uh, going for it. But it just it, it just didn't strike a chord with us. So I'm sorry, no. Noah. No, don't apologize." Uh, and then says, I can apologize to Noah if I want. And then he says, Eradicator, Rob, I'm with you, and Michael Bailey. And then I can't hear that name without thinking of the kids in the hall sketch. I slept here all night to get a feel for the court. <laughs> You're laughing alone. You're laughing alone. Anyway. I'm- Michael Bailey and Noah are laughing with <laughs> And Noah goes on to say, Shag, I find it hilarious that when you hear November 1963, the major news event you mention always is the premiere of Doctor Who. Hashtag nerd. So I'm not going to say you're wrong, Noah, but I will say that I'm reading your comics about a uh, – I'm reading your comments on a comic book blog from, about a podcast about a comic from 30 years ago. So you can turn that hashtag right around at yourself, buddy. <laughs> I think we, Shag might be, uh, I don't know, might be trying to cover something up now. We might need to look into this. Get Oliver Stone on this. Oh, my gosh. Uh, and then uh, he says, uh, he continues on, he says, Sugar and Spike, yes, this is perfect. And yes, Rob, they deserved an entry because they were such a major part of DC's publishing history with the original Who's Who was ostensibly created to showcase. I really think the series failed in that regard by leaning almost entirely on the superhero genre. I still think they should have thrown a bone to the company's humor comics history by featuring two double-page spread entries, one dedicated to various comedy characters, Sugar and Spike, Binky, etc., the other to funny animals. I really like that suggestion of Noah's. That's a really nice way to kind of like do, you know, do both things. It's like yeah. you give them a listing, but you don't need to give everybody a listing. That would have been a great idea. Now, where, where were you in 1984? <laughs> should have stormed right into, uh, I guess, what, uh, Len Wein's office and said, we need this. So I know that would, that would have been absolutely fantastic. Uh, Chuck Coletta from Bowling Green State University is the professor of pop culture over there. He says, uh, pop culture studies, excuse me. Uh, he says, I finally found my long misplaced who's who binders. Woo! And in perfect condition and intact, as I'd never consider rearranging the various entries. <laughs> I always much prefer the original format and historical overview. Thanks for another great episode. Thank you, Chuck. 
Awesome. Heard from Doug Van Diver. Now, stay with me on this one, folks. He says, jaws that unhinge are commonly known uh, as a commonly known snake anatomy feature. This allows them to swallow their prey whole. A king snake's diet includes other snakes, and sometimes a king snake will eat a snake that is actually longer than the king snake itself. Mm-hmm. Of course, Sir Edmund Torrance also has that ability. That is to gulp down others, sometimes taller, snake-themed characters. <laughs> you might be scratching your head there. And he says, yes, I read the entry, which describes his martial arts and street gang leadership. No matter, in my head canon, he's King Snake, so I need to have him be able to devour Jake the Snake Roberts or whoever. I mean, in the entry, doesn't say he can't do these things, does it? <laughs> I absolutely love that interpretation, Doug. That was like I started reading it. I'm like, what the hell is he talking about? And so uh, you gave me a good chuckle, so I appreciate that. Then we heard from Matt Ev, who was a recent guest on the JLI podcast. Matt writes, I must address Shag's surprise that someone who has never read Who's Who would listen to this show. It's consistently one of my favorite shows on the Firewater Network, but I've only ever held one issue in my hands. Oh my gosh, Matt, that is terrible. I absolutely love hearing about the issues and referring to the shots you post afterwards. Though Ohatmu is still my Bible. Sorry. Ouch, dude. Really? Oh, you're going to, you're going to throw that. All right. We'll tell you what, Matt, I will tell you this. Since you've only ever held one issue of who's who in your hand, I will go ahead and mail you one of the sealed issues I have of who's who the loose leaf edition. You have congratulations. You are one of our surprise winners that are going to eat one of those. And you know what, Rob, for whatever reason, it always seems like the winners are in other freaking countries. Cause this guy's in Scotland. She's OP. The postage we're paying for you people. So Matt, get in touch with me and we will work that out. And it may take a little while to mail it during COVID, but we'll make it happen. On Dr. Psycho, not much to say here, except that I was amused by your discussion of how taboo the C word is, because I live in Glasgow, where it's an extremely common usage with functions ranging from formal punctuation to polite greeting. Uh, I'm not going to get into it, but I will say I do now live with someone who drops that word a lot more casually than I ever would. Wow. So I'm getting a, I'm getting a little more used to it. I would like to use that word whenever I agree, Rob, but I just it would I, I would feel it's inappropriate. And my wife, ah, yeah, I don't, I don't use it, but the woman <laughs> in my life does. So <laughs> they were from Bradley Null, who was also a recent guest on the JLI podcast. He says, like most of my favorite podcasts, I keep listening when I can't comment, then forgetting to comment later. I've been enjoying the show a lot so far. Wanted to drop a quick great job before I forgot a thirteenth time. Hey, Bradley, I totally get it. I. I love reading all y'all's feedback, and I am one of the worst people who remembers to leave comments because when I do listen to podcasts, it's, as I mentioned earlier, when I'm driving or maybe mowing the lawn or whatever, and I'm not really in a position to make comments, and I always forget. So I'm the worst. True. Our pal Tim Price uh, says, uh, Cobra, Rob, remember, uh, I remember that bit from Batman and the Outsiders, too. That Mike W. Barr, Alan Davis story was my first encounter with the Naga Naga. It sold me on this villain right away. Thanks for the shout-out, guys, but legally actionable? I can't imagine what you mean. It'll all be in the deposition, Tim. <laughs> and Tim, of course, is with the Huntress podcast, so check that out. We're from Jeff Tischer. He says, I have an idea for a Who's Who contest. If you were to revive Who's Who today, how would you design it? Not who's in it and how much – or I'm sorry, uh, not who is in it, but how would you approach it? Would it look like the original, a loose leaf, secret files, a combo? I think it would be cool to see what people would come up for their design. Shag, Shag suggested I run to the flagpole to see what others thought. Now, I will say, I don't think we're going to hold a contest, um, but I would love to hear your thoughts, folks, in the comments. Let us know how you would revive Who's Who. I'll tell you for me personally, and you hit on it right here, secret files. I thought the secret files uh, was a really successful way to give us Who's Who entries, make them themed to particular characters, and give you a story that you want to read. So I think the secret files uh, would be a great great way to bring who's who back all right 
or you could print an omnibus. That's another way, I suppose. Uh, then we heard from, oh, I love this. This Philemon, you crazy bastard. I love you. Uh, he signed his name as Philemon, the president of the Jericho fan club running unopposed. Oh my gosh. You, you're, you're a good soul. Uh, and this, this right line here, uh, shows how crazy he is right out of the gate, folks. He says, Catman, although a perfectly acceptable character, is the most embarrassing version of his costume ever. Well, what? This is the costume drawn by uh, Norm Bravefogel? Yes, it's garish and crazy, but under Norm Bravefogel's pencil, it's amazing! So, Philemon just showing that he's, uh, he doesn't have all the pieces working. <laughs> Did Norm Bravefogel draw the Catman injury? Yes! I don't think so. I thought that I was... Think- uh- no, I don't think so. Oh, you're right. It wasn't. Oops. Okay, my bad. He drew yeah, the still de- the costume though. It's well, right. He drew the de- he drew the detective comics issue with Catman. That's what it was. Okay. All okay. Right. There you go. It, it, no, no, I, I, yeah, I kind of like Catman's costume. I don't know. Philemon. What, what are you talking about? Uh, <laughs> we love says, you, Philemon. He says I quite like the metallo piece. The coloring benefits it here, as well as the clean line work from Kurt Swan. Superman's pained expression demonstrates that Rob is just off on his draws one face comment. I think Shank presented it as a negative, but the depiction of Metallo as the anatomical doll with the skin peeled off is a creepy positive, in my opinion. So, folks, that is one vote for the Kurt Swan Metallo piece, and only one vote. Uh, and he goes, in the absence of new comics, I've been working my way through the 1960s Justice League of America comics. Starro is surprisingly a minor villain. He gets the distinction of being the enemy they face in their first recorded adventure. After that, he doesn't challenge our heroes again for nearly 20 years. Mm-hmm. Conversely, the Lord of Time shows up a bunch. I think this is, one of the, this is one of those things that, for whatever reason, gets confused when we get our history from who's who. Minor characters become huge, and major threats are seen as insignificant based on how much text they were given, or which artists were chosen to draw their entry in the sacred who's who. You know, you make a very valid point. I've, I've you know, I, I'm surprised I didn't tell my Rex story this time. I always give that story about how uh, in the original Who's Who, I thought Rex was a big deal because of his Who's Who entry and found out that he hadn't been around in like 40 years or whatever. So, yeah, you're right. Uh, we we do sort of have blinders on. Like, I always thought Star Hour was a big deal. I didn't until you told me just now. I didn't know he went around for like 20 years. That's amazing. Yeah, his, he basically didn't appear again until he fought Aquaman in that issue that I forgot. <laughs> Uh, so uh, he also brings up Sugar and Spike. He says, this is the only comment that I felt really strongly about making this time around. I would happily sell all of my Who's Who's issues to buy a real comic that had this Sugar and Spike entry in it. It is absolutely pitch perfect and would seamlessly fit into the original series. I would also sell all the rest of my comics I've collected if it meant the professor was still around to keep producing entries like this one. His loss still hurts. Knowing we will have more of Zoom's entries upcoming eases the pain some small amount. Uh, yeah, I agree with all of that. And uh, we do have more Zoom coming up in this very episode. Yep. And uh, thank you for that lovely comment, Philemon. As much as I pick on you, man, uh, we adore you. And that was that was really nice. Thank you. We agree completely. Now from Mike Dynas. He says, uh, Roz was our race or whatever. Uh, that's me saying all that. Sorry. He, he just says, Roz, it was one of my first experiences with graphic novels with Son of the Demon. I remember finding out there was a place where I could just buy comics that wasn't a drugstore or a grocery store. A comic book store. I'm with my, <laughs> I'm with my people. And, uh, and what's this? Fully contained stories in a prestige and oversized format? I immediately thought Son of the Demon and Death of Captain, I'm sorry, I immediately bought Son of the Demon and Death of Captain Marvel and have not looked back since. Though getting Batman digital justice might have been a mistake. Let me tell you, Mike, I, that's hilarious because that book haunts me too. Because I have this bookshelf with all my graphic, well, okay, I have five bookshelves of graphic novels. But anyway, I have this one bookshelf where, you know, it, it, it's oversized digital justice. And so like I have to stick it to the end because it doesn't fit with the rest. And every time I look at it, I'm like, 
like, why do I, I know why I bought it back then? Why do I keep this? Yeah, I totally with you, Mike. Love that. Uh, Ward Hill Terry comments. It's been so long since I listened to this episode that I've forgotten all the snide comments I was going to make. Put me down as agreeing with Frank for about 75%, even though I only get about 30% of his references. <laughs> uh, I'm in the kids in the hall group. See, oh there you gosh. go, Shag. Another one. Oh my gosh. Why is the, why is the hunchback in the back cave so prominent? Is it Bruce Wayne's forgotten brother? I, it would have been if, if Bob Haney had written the uh, entry. Oh, come on. That, that's Harold. He was important to the – uh, Yeah, no. He was, he, was a, he was a supporting character. Although he didn't uh, get mentioned in the entry, which is great. No, he does not. And then uh, he ends with Zoom rules. I am so pleased and honored that I was able to get a copy of Zoom's Who. Yes, it is yeah. a precious publication. Yeah, when Ward got his, he messaged me showing me like how happy he was with it. And that made me really happy to see it ended up in the hands of someone who cares about it. So that's wonderful. And, speaking, uh, speak, speaking oh, of Zoom. There we go. We have another uh, listing from another custom Who's Who listing from Zoom. And in case we actually have two, because uh, following the format of Who's Who, occasionally some characters got half pages. And Zoom decided to do two half page uh, listings for two different characters, both connected to Aquaman. This is very exciting. I feel like he did it just to please me, uh, which not enough people do. So uh, <laughs> the, the listing I'm here to talk about, and you'll see this on the website, fryingwaterpodcast.com, is Cal Durham, uh, who first appeared in Aquaman number 57. And he basically was a supporting character who became a pawn of Black Manta until he realized that Black Manta was no good and then ended up becoming a pal of Aquaman. And uh, we see the drawing here, and it's based on the work by Jim Aparo. And then Zoom did his own special little uh, magic on it. And so you see there's this inset. There's a close-up shot of of, uh, of Cal, which was ripped right from a Jim Aparo page. And then there's a shot of Aquaman and Cal. And then there's the, the main image where he's in his little underwater diving suit. And uh, it's, it's just a good – I mean, it, it, Cal's the kind of character that would have never gotten who's who listening because he just wasn't that significant. In, in the scheme of things, but it was so cool that uh, Zoom did it. Oh, it's a great entry, and it looks so authentic. I mean, it looks it does, so yeah. dead on. So, and, and I do want to mention the, the logo. He does, it's just lettering, but he offsets all the letters so they're not on the same, uh, the same axis line, which is totally a Jim Aparo touch because Jim Aparo did his own lettering. And he loved to do that. He loved to have letters slightly raised, slightly lowered. And I love that Zoom uh, replicated that for the logo. It's, it's, it's like that is, that is like deep dive nerd graphic designer <laughs> stuff that he noticed that. And, and it's a lot – even though it's just a simple uh, handwritten stuff, it's a lot more better than what's in the Who's Who stuff for logos. Yeah, it looks great. I, I love the offsettering. I didn't put it together as a paro, but it looked authentic to me. I couldn't put my finger on it, but that yep. explains it. Yep. The next one is <clears> – <throat> Crusader, another Aquaman minor character. He appeared in Aquaman number 56, which is important to me because that was my very first issue I ever bought of Aquaman as a collector. It also happened to be the last issue of the first original Aquaman series. So Crusader was this small-time hero in Detroit, and he kind of a vigilante, no real powers per se, just kind of a, a Batman without gadgets running around beating people up. But the gimmick was he was going blind. He was losing his eyesight. So he developed this scheme as a scientist to uh, have these satellites beam constant light into Detroit. So, cause he, he could see during the day, couldn't see at night. And so he would be able to always see, never mind the environmental catastrophe it was causing to the town having 24 hour sunlight. So by golly, he was going to be vigilante in his garish costume if he had to. And he ends up the guy dies and he goes blind. I don't know why he just couldn't have gone the whole Dr. Midnight route. But anyway, he made for a fun 
sort of foil. I don't, I don't want to call him a villain because he was really, he was a vigilante hero, but he was a foil for that issue in Aquaman number 56. And it was a, it was a fun sort of one-off character who, when I first read it, sort of led me to believe I should have read more appearances because he actually references in there that he couldn't join the Justice League because he was too violent. The JLA wouldn't let him in. <laughs> I was like, almost like, wow, has he appeared somewhere before? Anyway, you get the drawing of him in his costume, which is, uh, quite hideous, uh, gold and red and black with this, uh, a boomerang looking C on his chest, but it looks authentic to the issue. Then you get some gorgeous serpent of Don Powers without his costumes. Of course you get the character without their mask on. You see him fighting Aquaman and then you see him kicking butt on some of the uh, denizens of Detroit. I, I love this thing, man. What do you think? Oh, it's, it's fantastic. And yeah, I actually think the crusader really did kind of earn his own listing because he did, he was costumed at least. Yeah. He only made one appearance, but there are other characters in who's that only made one appearance, but I, I, I mean, I know why he didn't, but it was so, it would have been so great if he did. And I love that Zoom went to the extra effort to put him in there. It was really, really cool. Yeah, absolutely love it. And again, folks, you will find that on our website in the image gallery. So, all right. Now, this is the part of the show where we thank everyone who shared the show on their social media timeline, Facebook or Twitter. We appreciate that. It does sound like a long list, like I'm reading a phone book. I get that. A phone book written by insanity with uh, with some of these handles are. But we want to recognize each person that helps promote the show because, you know, every single one of these folks is an important part of the Who's Who community, and they're helping to get the word out there. So our thanks to Aaron Head Moss, Al Girding, Between the Pages, Bill Beer, Caravaggio Fibonacci. Wow, I'm sorry, man. Chris Franklin, Chris Lewis, Chris Lydon, Chuck Rodriguez, Coffee and Comics Podcast, Damian Whiter, David Is Gutierrez, DC Now, a DC fan podcast, Dr. Ange, Dr. Pop Culture, Bowling Green State University, Ed Moore, Fan Film Fridays Podcast, Galactic Milkman, Green Lantern HG, Gus Casals, Jay Jones Goldstein, Jeff Weinberg, Jeffrey Brown, Jim Imbruglia, John K. Mulder, John Steeb, Keith G. Baker, Con L, Lizanne Oswald, Mark Baker Wright, Martin Gray, Max Romero, Michael Kramer, Michael O'Brien, Mike Dinas, Odie, God of Snacks, Paul Kien, Quill Pen, Rad Adventures, Relatively Geeky, Roger Preeb, Old Spine Podcast, Rowie, uh, aka or Colin O'Dev, maybe? I don't know. Siskoid, uh, Tim Price, The Pod Crasher, Tim Uyu, Whole Truthy, and Willie Yarbrough. Wow. And remember, folks, if you want to be in that list next time, all you got to do is retweet the entries on Who's Who or share it on your Facebook timeline, and we really appreciate helping getting the word out. And remember, go to our website, fireandwaterpodcast.com, and you will see some of the issues, uh, images from this issue. Now, next issue, Rob, this is kind of a, another themed issue, a little crazy. It is a Vertigo-themed issue. And uh, in the issue, you will find people like... Doom Patrol. Doom Patrol's Rogue Gallery, which I'm pretty sure is just Paul Hicks and Mike Garvey. And Monsignor Mala. Uh, <laughs> Sandman's The Endless. Matthew the Raven. Swamp Thing. Dun, 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 dun. Abby Arcane. John Constantine. Kid Eternity. Black Orchid. American Scream from Shade the Changing Man. Tim Hunter. Mr. E and many, many more. And that's going to do it, folks. So remember, go out to our Facebook page, go out to our Twitter, get out there, talk to us, tell us your, what you love, and really leave your comments on the face, on the, on the Fire and Water podcast page. That's it. So until next time, who's next? Next. Aquaman and Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and Nuclear Man, Batman and Hawkman, 2D Man and Hour Man, Who 
are all these people, man? They're all part of the DC. Who's who? Ultra Boy and Mr. Gold, Lightning Lass and Hippolyta, Phantom Stranger, Hedrick and Arisia and Woozy Winks. Hey, hey, hey. What? What about that one guy? What guy? Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? Yeah, him. He's also part of the DC. Who's who? Oh man, we forgot Slipknot. No, when I want to ask you a bunch of uh, Who's Who uh, uh, contributions. Um, they're really nice because I did a pile of stuff for Who's Who, and they oh, yeah. let me go through and choose. And I don't know if you ever noticed this, but I'm always doing Matt Reader Lad and Bouncing Boy and those characters because those are the ones I love. And so at one point I, I gave them a list and I, I included Rex the Wonder Dog, and they went, "We're not doing Rex the Wonder Dog because at the time I don't think they published a Rex story in like 15 years or something." But I have a lot of Rex the Wonder Dog comics because they're all by Gil Kane. They're gorgeous. I, I buy them at, at back issues. Sure. Them. So I said, "Oh my God, you're not doing Rex the Wonder Dog." I'm so upset. I, I threw like this pretend fit. So, <laughs> They let me do Rex the Wonder Dog. And then as soon as this issue came out, I got a phone call from... Um, oh, I'm suddenly forgetting his name. He's a writer for DC. Mark Wayne? No, 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 no. Uh, 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 I'd never met him before. Um, uh, he was doing uh, Superman at the time. Robinson, I think his name was. Okay. Uh, and uh, he demanded to buy the original album. He didn't ask. He just demanded. He's British. He goes, I've got to oh, have James that. Robinson? James Robinson. Yeah. He goes, I've got to have that. I've got to. You've got to sell me this. I haven't even got it back from the... Uh, from the publisher yet, James. When it comes back, you've got to send me that. So, he too is a Rex the Wonder Dog fan. That is absolutely wonderful.